everybody. Welcome to Frame Trap. Today, I am joined by Kyle Bossman at the Hello. end. Hello. Michael Dami in the middle. How's it going? Good, man. It's going good. I'm going to be uh, your host throughout this. I am Ben Moore. And my, my opening question uh, to you two fine gentlemen mm-hmm. is, will you ever stop trolling each other? Or is it kind of like like eternal? I think we're in a truce period right now, right? We're in a truce period of trolling. You're yeah. in a truce period? Yeah. Was this like formally decided? Uh, it was very informal. It was just a nod. We walked into the office one day. Uh, Damiani nodded first. I knew what that nod meant, and I returned to the nod. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the troll negotiation nod, basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. It's a very specific nod, and he laughs now. But like we yeah. both acknowledge it, we both understand it immediately. Yeah, and when you see that nod, it's basically like. Truce. Yeah. Truce. We like, hey, I'm having a rough date. It's like, Kyle, rough day. Yeah. He's like, okay, I get it. No trolling today. I feel like um, some things are instinctual mm-hmm. for, for for people. Like they they just they have something within them that cannot be like tamped down for too long. Mm-hmm. Eventually comes out, and I think it's easy when we have our our week to week and we have a rhythm where you guys can have that truce and and change things. But uh, easy living is coming up. Yeah. So you're going to have to kind of live with each other for a couple of days. Uh, I do think I do think the trolling wears on you both uh, during that two-day period. It's all for show. We know that we have reputations and at this point, you know, we troll each other as a performance. As a performance. Yeah, knowing deep inside that this is all part of like a cooperative uh trolling. Is that performance entertaining for you? No, <laughs> it's dreadful. It's a lot of work. It's part of the job. Yes, mm-hmm. part of the job. Yep. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> this is this is going to be interesting frame trap because uh, just for me, I it's been light as, as far as like games I've been playing. I've been playing a lot of Fire Emblem, but I can't really get too much into Fire Emblem just yet, and so mm-hmm. it's an awkward period. Uh, but last night, I think at around nine or ten or something, Marvel Ultimate Alliance three came out. And I played some of that, and Kyle, you played some of that. Yeah. So let's open with it. Let's open cool. with this brand new game. Uh, what do you think? So this is funny. Uh, I have my friends from college. We played through X-Men 2. X-Men, what was it called? X-Men Legends, Legends, Legends 2 yeah. uh, back in college. We had a great time. So for Ultimate Alliance 3, we're like, okay, 9 p.m., Let's all like get online. Let's co-op it. It's gonna be super fun. Uh, one of the guys was like, "Dudes, I'm not gonna make it home by 9 p.m." Which you know is gonna happen, right? So with my other friend, I'm like, "Hey, let's just like see how online works." Yeah. Like, <laughs> the thing is, you have to play. Are four, you gonna, are you gonna tell that other friend? Yeah. Okay. Because you have to play for an hour to even get to online. Mm. You and your friends can't hop online and like watch the intro together. You you each in your own little isolated switches have to like progress to the point. In which, see, I did not know that because I was just yeah. playing single player. But yeah. like, how does that how does that happen? How does that happen with like your big game that's about superhero buddies mm-hmm. getting together to beat up dudes? It's just supposed to be like simple fun. Yeah. How do you be like now? Nah, you gotta wait. 
The idea is, I think, very Nintendo. Uh, it's like, we need you to see all the tutorial stuff before you hop online. Yeah. It's at the end of the tutorials where you can finally, like, click online. Yeah. That's really interesting that they do that because I can understand if you're going to be match the matchmaking with random people. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, at l- least learn how to play the game before you jump online. Right. But if you're doing, like, friends-only mode, I'm assuming they have a way to just play with friends in that. Yeah. Yeah, who cares? Like, right. just let them jump in from the start. That seems kind of backwards, honestly. Yeah, I guess, like, can't you structure the tutorial in a way where you're just going through it with your friends and you're all learning? You could easily do that, yes. Right, like, it, yeah. it's like, why why do you need to learn in isolation? That mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, that's something interesting about Ultimate Alliance 3 that in my time with it so far, it's, like, both really, really simple, which is good. It, you want a nice, simple, classic beat-em-up in a lot of ways, but then it has, like... The character progression is a, like at least seemingly a little bit more involved than I, I was expecting, where it's like, okay, you get these XP cubes that you can expend to raise up levels, and you can level up skills individually, and then there's this whole tree where you can focus on different stats, and if you like mix and match different heroes together, you'll get different stat boosts. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wow, like this is a lot more than I was expecting for some reason. But uh, yeah, how, how is the basic gameplay treating you? Uh, so I'd use heroic camera, which I think is a mistake mm. because uh, I always like having what is, a camera. What is heroic camera? I have not messed with the camera settings. So I think traditional is like top down, mm. yeah. like the older, you know, X-Men Legends or Ultimate Alliance games. But, uh, yeah, the heroic one is behind the character and you can use the right analog stick to rotate around and like really explore the environments. Uh, yeah. It doesn't work well like that. that okay. they, they did that okay. as a compromise. And so like, it, it's not made for that. You have to go into a menu and select it, uh, uh, you like right? You you weren't even aware of it, Ben. Right. So, so like, it's not like a thing that's advertised. Uh, but I'm still going with that because I like that. I like exploring an environment. I like the right analog stick. Uh, I, and you know, you're being these heroes. It's way more fun to be down there with them. Sure. Yeah, yeah I get that. Um, speaking of exploring the environment, something that like, <laughs> it's funny because I like this game, but something that just immediately stuck out to me in a, in a super bad way is very early on, mm-hmm. uh, there's like this, this laser, not puzzle, but kind of obstacle course that you have to get through where it's like, okay, you gotta, the lasers keep showing up and you have to like jump through at the right time or just avoid them. But then there's one where you like need to move a box and like push it into the lasers. And there are these rooms on the side that you can go into and you'll go into the room and like the camera, you can't even see your character. It's just like your character's completely covered. And I went in and out of this room like three or four times. And it was only like after a few times of trying it that like it, the camera just decided to like pan down and I could see. But the other times I couldn't. And I was like, this is weird. I don't know if I was doing something wrong. That happens to me a lot in heroic camera mode. And I just thought like, oh, this is my fault for choosing this. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mess with the camera at all. Yeah, and that, funny. that happened. That's really funny. Um, but... Yeah, the the other thing that I think is is interesting about multiple or Ultimate Alliance Three is the voice acting, mm-hmm. uh, where like some characters it feels like are definitely just like trying to copy the MCU yes. versions, and others Rocket Raccoon, Rocket Raccoon, Iron Man, yeah, uh, as well. I would say, and then others aren't, and it's it's interesting because I actually think like Rocket Raccoon. I don't know who the voice actor is for that, but I actually think he's doing a pretty good job mm-hmm. of that. I think Iron Man is doing a pretty good job. I think the voice acting across the board is pretty good. Um, Nick Fury, uh, they're trying to emulate Samuel Jackson, but 
Yeah, it's it's just interesting to see those different approaches. Like, I wonder what the direction was like there. What's funny is, uh, like, Gamora is very, very plain the way they sure. directed that one. Uh, for some reason, I feel like it's only one hit. Uh, like, she gets hit and she does her excerpt, mm-hmm. and she sounds like an old woman every time. It's like, uh <laughs> and I like I hear that so much because I'm playing as Gamora for that first section. Just and it's like why does that, why was that the take? And so she's just like I've got you now. And it's like I don't know. There there are some weird uh, maybe low budge choices uh, with voice acting for sure. Mm-hmm. Kyle, that's that's something that only you would bring up uh, and like. Everybody kind of like has to be familiar with Gamora because you're only playing as the Guardians of the Galaxy in the very, very, very beginning of the game. Yeah. Um, and like, I didn't notice that at all. Oh, okay. So I th- th- whatever, this, whatever this like elderly cry is. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that is. I like the style. I like the visual style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with that. Yeah. The, it, I mean, this game is made for 12 year olds and they are not shy about it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it, it's just, they look like action figures. They have the mm-hmm. detail of action yeah. figures. Yeah. Uh, but. They're nice looking. Yeah, Th- they do it, to me look better designed than uh, the Avengers, Marvel's Avengers by Square Enix. Yeah, uh, they just have an aesthetic that's w- well applied. Um, and yeah, I, I uh, <laughs> it works, I guess, because they're tiny, right? Like because if you're using the normal camera, you're just going to be you don't even need to see the details of them so well. Yeah, and their basic figures need to stand out. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is a, it's like a dumb game about just pounding bad guys yes. with superheroes. Yes. Um, yeah, I agree with you on, on the, the characters that, like, looking like action figures, I think that's a pretty good uh, thing to bring up. The, the environments are, like, not interesting at all so far. Mm-hmm. Like, it is just very much like, you're in, like, an industrial space area. Like, it's just very, like basic environmental design yeah. uh, as far as I can tell. But it almost doesn't matter um, because I think both the heroes and villains, the most important part, what, you there, what you're there for, uh, do look really, really good. Um, I agree with that. What do you think about it mechanically? Because I've actually, so far, just, just like maybe an hour or two in, uh, and still in the beginning of the game, I actually kind of like what they're trying to do mechanically, where it feels like they're trying to implement some mechanics where it's like, hey, you have some enemies have this stagger meter. You need to get that down. Um, and then you can stun them and, and do a lot of extra attacks. Or bosses, like you fight Venom, and it's like, okay, he's going to jump down. You want him to jump down at this specific point. So make sure that when he does this attack, you're ready for it. Um, there's just kind of enough of that where it's like, oh, I need to like learn how to dodge this or block this enough that it's like not completely mindless but it's not so complicated that it's like ah this isn't what i came here for yeah i i I think that what's weird is the the 7.5 uh is the right version of this game Mm. Mm -hmm. none of us are reviewing this right um i I don't know. Oh, okay. All right. Because uh, I just said 7.5. That's not like the official Easy Allies <laughs> review. Yeah, I don't want to uh, speak for anybody else. I think, yeah. I think Huber was oh, originally going to review, but then obviously yeah. uh, kind of crazy circumstances happened. So I, I don't know what's going on with the review. Sure. But yeah, so like Ben, I, I think that it survives off of being simple. Mm. It, it's sort of like if it is if it is like each of us are our own Dantes and we all have like our own crazy combos that we're all trying to pull off. Right. I think it wouldn't work as this four player game where everybody's just trying to level up and unlock new abilities. Right. And like mash through the story. 
Right, but I, the, what's interesting about this game is like it's it's trying to have somewhat of an extended life, right? Like they have DLC plans mm-hmm. down where they're going to be releasing content for this game over a period of time. Like it also has to be interesting enough to get you to want to check back in later down the line. Like, do you think it accomplishes that? Um, I've yet to play it with my friends. Sure. Like once we all we, we all get through that hour and we all get in, you know, we all find a time that all three of us can schedule in. Uh, I think this game's going to be a blast. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to like chat over WhatsApp or or anything but Nintendo online. Uh, but like, we'll find out a way to like get this working. Yeah. And then I think it's going to be the the. There's another thing, Ben. There's oh. one more thing for online. Okay. So you have a host and guests. Yeah. Uh, the host can change their character willy-nilly whenever they feel like it. The guests are locked in to that character for the entire play session. <laughs> they pick a character, they log in with this That's character. so different and than, yeah. than local or single player. Wow. Yeah. That <laughs> doesn't... That's like... They're lo- they can't change. No. I feel like that's so against what the game yeah. is, is trying to promote in its own design, where, like... You have moments, like constant hype moments where it's like, oh, hey, these guys are here now. Now you're recruited into the cause. Like they, they kind of present them in a way where it's like, don't you want to try them out? You yeah. can get different bonuses for mixing and matching. Like what? We're going to have to be like, okay, log out, log out, log yeah. out. <laughs> <It's> like, That's <laughs> crazy. It is, I think it's going to be like that. We'll have to figure out how that flow goes. Weird. It's also not clear to me at this point. If I bring my Spider-Man to my friend's game, if I'm playing as my Spider-Man or his Spider-Man, and I don't really know how that's going to work. Yeah, uh, I it, <laughs> I'm not really at a point where I can tell how much like levels are actually getting me. Yeah, how much it's really helping me when I'm going through the skill tree or improving abilities. Um, just because like a lot of fights, you're kind of approaching it the same way, where it's just like attack and spam your special and do your ultimate as much as you can. Um, I do think in terms of like structures of fights especially with boss fights they kind of make it pretty satisfying where like when they have their stagger meter up uh you don't really do that much damage to bosses Mm -hmm. um and then when you get the stagger meter down that's when you kind of want to cash in on your your super on your big super moves where you like it splashes across the screen and you just go crazy and do a flurry of attacks and you can like activate all of your hero's super moves to do a ton of damage and when you do that you just melt their health Mm -hmm. and i really like that where you like every boss fight i've kind of been conditioned to be like okay okay all right i staggered them now i can do more damage and then doing all the super moves and seeing that huge uh, chunk of health drop like that's really satisfying it is actually i like it then one big health meter i think it's it's funny it's almost like a superhero battle to have to have these stagger moments mm-hmm. uh where it's not just a consistent chiseling away at a person but to have these like right. big impactful ching, really right. it's a satisfying like their arms go up they like they're stunned and they like flash white you know what i mean yeah. it feels really nice to finally stagger them yeah um and i don't know just the way that the the boss fights have play out like you fight the the green goblin and he's just throwing his pumpkin bombs all over the place and it's just it, that had a slightly different flavor than than the other fights that came before it and so like I don't know we'll see uh, I want to play more of it me too which is a good thing which yeah is a good thing and like I was kind of bummed because I was like ah man like I'm just gonna be checking this out single player uh, I wonder if that's really gonna hurt my experience or 
like I, I won't want to play it like this. Like maybe I'll be missing something. But I was having a good time. And you'll be able time. to play as any character you want to. Yeah, yeah, that was really nice because I did like several times. I switched out people. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious about multi when you get a chance to play multiplayer, especially online. Yeah. Sure. Because local multiplayer, like. Definitely, like, had the benefit of being able to change, like, mid-level at the points. Like, you can change the character. But sometimes I felt... I'm, I'm curious, because I got a lot of suggestions, Kyle, saying that whenever I try the final version of Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 was to uh, try the heroic cam, yeah. the dynamic cam, versus the traditional top-down. Because playing with, other like, multiplayer, it felt a little too chaotic at times and hard to keep track of anything. Well, the camera... When you, like, get away from each other, the camera zooms out, right? Yeah. It, it, and imagine when you're playing with, like, randoms. It's going to be, oh, right. wow, this is a... Uh, yeah, and I was like playing a Spider-Man as well, so I'm like I'm swinging mm-hmm. and, and like oh well I'm also now above everything and everything's going down below. Yeah, and yeah, and then like talk, talking about like triggering the stuff like uh, I forget what the ultimate attack is, yeah. but once one person triggers it, it's like does everyone it like gives you a prompt? Do you just want to do it? It's like you, you should just say yes, and it's just like no idea if like was not paying attention to the stagger meter, so like no one like people are just gonna trigger it. It's yeah. like. Do you want them to fully waste it, or do you want to go all in? It's just like a little weird. It's a lot of cooperation, for yeah. sure. All right. Tell me if I'm crazy here, mm-hmm. but like very minor pet peeve. I wouldn't even say it bothers me that much, but just something that I've noticed is like when so many games, I feel like, go out of their way to name something different, even though it's like the same thing as it is in other games. <laughs> so they'll call like a super attack just like something else, like... Omega Blast Laser Alpha. And it's just like, no, it's a super attack. Like, yeah. the way that it functions is like a super attack in every other game. Just call it that. Because everybody does it anyway. Because you, you see that sometimes where people will be like, you know, the, the super attack that they have. And everybody knows what that means. Mm-hmm. Like, can we should we standardize that a little bit? Yeah. Or is it like... Supers are supers. Specials are specials. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um, but Damiani, when you were playing it, outside of that that kind of like chaos and it being hard to follow uh what did you think about how it felt to play i mean yeah it was very simplistic very basic it didn't feel overly complex at least um you know beating up lots of enemies on screen with like multiple other people yeah it it has a it definitely was appealing in that immediate scene that that immediate satisfaction and reward and seeing very flashy it felt like you were playing as superheroes it was delivering on that part of it um my question my concern with this game and its predecessors has always been the, like uh, long marathon sessions. Like this is something I feel like if you play for too long, even with friends, it's the diminishing returns come faster. Where it's just you reach a point where I've been doing the same thing over and over again with this. It's not that. On top of like, I, I agree with the criticism that like the levels didn't seem very detailed. Yeah, <laughs> very simple. I, I feel like it gets to a point where it gets a little boring and you might want to take a break and step away from it. And how do you get people to want to like play that like longer? How do you get them to come back and do that? And do you just play in sessions and stuff like that? And I, I'm guessing that's like what people are probably going to ultimately do. But I feel like my experiences with the, the Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 playing through that in its entirety with friends, yeah. it just was like such a slog by the end. Because we marathoned it, I was like, this is not the way to probably experience these games. Where you think of like great beat em ups, they aren't that long. Right. Like they, they focus on the moment to moment combat, they deliver that so well, and it doesn't need to like worry about length. Whereas these games, I think, go a little bit, they want to be a little bit longer. They, they are a little bit more, they're not too long, but they feel longer than like the average beat em up to me. 
Yeah, I, Damian, I'm I'm always curious about how long everything is. Like yeah. anytime I'm playing a game, I I just I want to know uh, out of my own curiosity and then just like scheduling stuff uh, how long something is going to be. And I did some I did some quick looking online, so maybe sure. this isn't accurate. I haven't finished multi, Marvel Ultimate Alliance three. I don't know. I think it's I think it's about. Uh, ten hours long, based on what oh, yeah, I was that's seeing. Not too bad online. Yeah, it's it's was, not, but it's like uh, it's also one of those things where by maybe hour nine you could you could see that. However, like, and I don't know, Kyle, if if you got the same read on this, but the story seems extremely simple. Like, yeah, like, that's what that's what I meant by like for twelve year olds. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. like you gotta. Stop Thanos and get the Infinity Stones. Like it's just like the most basic story, and not in a bad way. I feel like the tone kind of supports that. Like it, it, it seems like they're having some amount of fun with it, mm-hmm. um, and and trying to capture the the personalities of these heroes as best they can. And like, I don't know. For me, that was working because it was like a game that I had on, and then I was just like having YouTube videos on in the background, and it seemed like a very good, at least when you're playing by yourself, like a good veg game. Like, you could just kind of hang out, and you're getting like some progression, so you're seeing numbers go up, and you have that be somewhat satisfying, and you're just beating up people as cool superheroes. And then I imagine with your friends, like, you're just talking with each other and... and yeah, talking about whatever. It does. It does feel like a little softer than even other Ultimate Alliance games, though. It does. It In does seem more like Disney Channel, like okay. Disney Channel XD. Like this. This could be on. T- like this dialogue could be on TV. You know what sure. I mean? Uh, that when somebody's writing a Marvel comic or any comic book, I guess like. Normally, they're not just trying to make superheroes look cool and beat bad guys up. Sure. And, and this is just that. Mm-hmm. It's missing that other element <laughs> behind all those things. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the things that, like, Stan Lee, like, to set out to do initially. Uh, but, hey, it's a 7.5 type game. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a swimming in sevens game. And it's not trying to aspire to that. So it, it's it's hard to call that a criticism of, like, hey, you're going a little simple on this. But, uh, yeah, it's weird. it's weird to me when you, like, take the Marvel lineage and you do very simple things like that. See, it, it, it's it's all about, like, what's out there mm-hmm. for me because, like, if – I feel like with superhero games, in it, it, a pre-Batman Arkham world, like, they were usually very simple, I yeah. feel like. very true, uh, yeah. Where, where, like, there was, a, you know, a lot of complaints of, like, yeah, this is just, like – a movie cash in it's not really doing justice to this license I, and, and I'm speaking in generalities here but I feel like things changed post Batman in a way that like the, the those Batman games are really good and we just had Spider-Man last year which is not a shallow game I right. would say right like it, it is trying to tell a, a deeper story and so like I feel like I've kind of gotten that recently, mm-hmm. and I just played Batman Arkham Knights. So that might be why so uh, like I'm super okay with this like sugary beat people up as cool heroes thing. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's just a time and place thing. I don't know. Yeah. But. I mean, and it's exactly what I think certain people are looking for. Yeah. The, how long has it been since Ultimate Alliance 2? Sure. And now you're getting a 3. So yeah. I, I think this was made for a specific audience, and this is what they've been clamoring for. So not every superhero game needs to be like Batman, Arkham Asylum, or Arkham City level depths, or right. Spider-Man. You know, it... There's a place for this as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I just had this immediate feeling when I was playing it where I was like, oh, man, like, there aren't enough beat-em-ups out there. And I'm, I, like, part of that is on me because I know in the independent space, like, some of those needs 
are being filled, and I'm not playing those games, but I I couldn't help but get that sensation of like, man, like I miss this. And yeah. Like I I sometimes this is nice, and like I I, I feel like. I'd be sad if this genre went away, kind mm-hmm. of a feeling. So, yeah. Just that light, light, heavy. Light, light, heavy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like, I don't know. I feel like they lean into it in pretty smart ways as well because you'll get, like, when you, there, there are special, there are a lot of specials. Uh, like, I was playing Gwen and you can just, you have this meter and you can just keep hitting the button until your meter is gone. And it's just like comical because the special is you're just like, Whipping a bunch of web at an enemy, mm-hmm. and you just keep mashing the button, and you're just like, I'm just gonna keep doing it until it's gone. Like, I'm just gonna sit here and watch like a bunch of numbers fly up. This meter slowly drain. It's like this is fun. Like this is stupid fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I was having a good time. Um, Kyle, mm-hmm. before the show, you brought something to Frame Trap that I was, uh, I, I guess. Not expecting it wouldn't be correct because I knew you were playing. You mentioned you were playing this before, but like until you had mentioned it uh, uh, a little bit earlier, I didn't know you had it, it, interest in it. Uh, the Borderlands Two DLC. Yeah. Uh, what is it, Commander Lilith? And the fight for sanctuary. And the fight for sanctuary. Yeah. So what prompted this? So, I think the existence of this DLC is really cool. This was yeah. free DLC launched for a very old game. I think it launched in like 2011 or 12. Um, uh, that bridges the gap between two and three. I expected it to be just, you know, like a little half hour thing. Uh, it's like, it's long. It's like two hours if you're just running through the whole thing, which I did. Uh, uh, <laughs> but like six, there's like six hours of things if you're like doing side quests and like you really love all these characters. Um, and so... It's been so weird to hop back into Borderlands. So, I mean, this DLC is expansive. Yeah. It's got new characters, new vo- like voice acting. They bring back old voice actors. They did new animations using these old models and things like that. It's just really the the effort into this DLC is so high. It's crazy to me. Yeah. Um uh the idea that this is just like a free advertisement for Borderlands 3. I love that. Just like, hey, we're putting DLC into this this old game so you're more incentivized to pre-order 3. Uh, this made me certain I don't want to play Borderlands 3. Really? Yeah. This DLC unsold me because of Borderlands design. Just its straight-up game design, I think, is dreadful. <laughs> I, think, I think the... the I, l- I actually really love the visuals. I yeah. really love this world. Anytime I'm in a new environment, I'm so excited. Uh, I just hate what's at the very, very core of this game, which is uh, having your numbers slightly higher than the game wants you to have them. You know, yeah. just uh, just the spawning of enemies, the enemies who just spawn right beside you, and mm-hmm. they just need to take a certain number of your resources, and then they'll give you some resources back. And just that is, oh, that's the balance of this game, is you just, you're shooting at a guy, mm-hmm. and I know this is probably lots of games, but, you know, right. I, I don't, like, play a lot of loot games for these reasons, but I'm just shooting at a guy who I know I'm killing, but he has just more HP than the last guy I shot. So I'm just still shooting him and shooting him and I'm like wasting ammo. <laughs> and I know that like the reward I get for shooting this guy is not worth the ammo I'm spending on him. Uh, so I just run through the level. And that is what it ended up being is just me running, <laughs> running, running to the next objective. It's not worth it for me. I don't need your experience points because I get way more for completing an objective or killing a boss. I don't yeah. need this. I don't need any of this. 
And like, so they just made a game where it's unrewarding to play the game, to kill the enemies, which is why you want guns. You want more guns to kill enemies and have that feel fun. Um, when I don't think that's the most fun thing in Borderlands, but it's really, it's just about the randomness. The, oh, I got a lucky gun. It's, that's, that is what they want you to feel. Mm-hmm. The environment art, environmental artists want me to feel like, oh, this is so cool. But at the very, very core of the game's design, it's, oh, I got a lucky gun. That is like the number one priority for Borderlands. And that is, that is, if I had to define to everyone who is upset about why I dislike Borderlands so much, like the bad script's like number three. And number one is like the, 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 just the reliance on the randomness and you liking the randomness. Yeah, this is kind of difficult to unpack, Kyle, yeah. uh, because I feel like that that's ex- that's it's, that's what it's trying to be explicitly. Like that's yeah. what it wants to accomplish, and that is what is resonating with people. And that is a a genre that since Borderlands One has has exploded in popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, like everything that you're saying, I feel like you could say about the division two feel like you could say about destiny yes uh um, yeah it like explicitly and those things truly bother me yeah it really yeah, does yeah, yeah yeah uh but i guess why i enjoy borderlands and why i enjoy those other games and i i have issues with them but not really what you're describing is like i'm kind of signing up for the progression i'm kind of signing up for that treadmill um and that for Borderlands as well, I think kind of the the craziness and like, you know, the guns not always being like super traditional guns, like having quirks to them mm-hmm. um, and you changing weapons a lot and trying to get something better and trying to do something new on top of like your own character ability and, and kind of playing into that as well. Like you're not just relying on your guns. You have other things, I think, kind of separate it a little bit and, and make it interesting. And I guess what's confusing for me is... I know that you are primarily like a world and story guy, or at least that's the impression that I get. Um, but you li- really like RPGs. Yes. Um, and I would have to imagine that even though you prioritize like the story in the world in RPGs, that like on some level you have to like the progression just because it's such a big part of it. Like oh, yeah. getting new equipment, getting new spells, all of that stuff. And so what is it, I guess, about this genre that bothers you? Um... I guess it is, it's perhaps the raw randomness, the idea that this gun is just a roll of the dice. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that, like, <laughs> I don't know, just just opening nonstop boxes, just anything with a little green rectangle on it, it's supposed to be satisfying to just, like, open it and just suck in the ammo. Um, I, I guess, it, to me, it's just, like, a cynical abuse of the human mind. <laughs> it's just, like, mm. we just... We, by nature, love these things. When I first hopped back into Borderlands 2, I was having a really good time. And what was really funny is I was uh, carrying a friend up to level 30, and I was playing levels where I was not getting any loot that mattered to me at all because I was too far up. It's like, oh, this is all worthless, and all these enemies are super easy to kill. I was having a fine time. But then when I got to this point where I'm like playing the game the way that the game wants me to play it, right. where it's just like, oh, you're going to have to grind against a wall of bad guys, clear them out before you progress. I'm just like, why? Sure. None of these things like none of these things have any tangibility. Do you know what I mean? None of these things feel like a guy who lived in that shack who just wandered out right now. It all feels like randomly spawning numbers. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, despite the work put into the world and uh, the environments, uh, it's just it all falls apart when a guy spawns right next to you and just like takes out half your health. Yeah. Um, I guess there's, there's a couple of three different things that I want to bring up in, in response to that. Um, the first is uh, a strength of Borderlands. So I was playing Borderlands 3 at E3. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I had a gun that when you reloaded it, you threw it like a grenade. And yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, man, like that's that's cool. And it makes me because it's it, that's that's not just a stat increase. That's not just like you do 2% more damage. That is like something where it's like, oh, when I reload, I have to like <laughs> – I, I can't just hit that button. Like, I should try to, like, aim and throw it right at this guy. And that, that was cool. Like, that had, a, that had a tangible effect on how I was playing the game. And I think Borderlands, that's just one small example. But I think Borderlands kind of relies on that, that quirkiness and, and giving you things that change how you play uh, in a certain way. Um, but I agree with you in the sense that, like, when you hit that wall and, like, you feel like you have to grind or that something takes forever to get through, like, that's, you're not doing anything interesting. Like, numbers against numbers like that uh, is not very interesting. Or yeah. you, you just feel, like, there are times, I remember back, like, in the World of Warcraft days where, like, you would just queue up with random people and do a dungeon, and you would, like, somebody would leave the dungeon, and, like, everything would just fall apart. And you might be, like, X amount of time in, and I, I remember when it would all just fall apart, I'd think to myself, like, I, I feel like I just wasted my life in, like, <laughs> a pretty deep way, where I was like, man, I wish I could get however much time I spent on this back. And so I think, one person would be the difference? You would lose a dungeon if one person leaves, basically? Well, it's just, it, it would, like, things would just slowly turn sour. I Got mean, it. you would just queue up with random people, and yeah. you try like, go and you try to do your thing, and then, like, a mistake would happen, and somebody would get salty, and then, like, people would leave, and you just, you, you would just see it crumble. And you're just like, I just have to redo all of this. Like, we got this far in, and I just have to redo all this. And I think that's kind of what you're describing with this, like, wall of numbers where you just kind of feel your life slipping away. Yeah. And it's not interesting. You don't feel like you're, you're really... I don't know. You don't really feel like you're playing a game. You're just kind of waiting it out mm-hmm. more so. Um, and I get that. And I think it's on the design of the game to make those fights interesting, to have unique mechanics, to have weapons that can overcome those challenges, to have options. And you're saying that you felt like Borderlands 3 didn't – or Bo- the, sorry, Borderlands 2 DLC didn't really have that? Yeah. And, you know, I think that five smart enemies would be way more fun than the 50 dummies that they send at you. And the reason the 50 dummies are hard is because they have more HP and they hit harder, not because they do anything interesting. Yeah. And, you know, they're, because it's Borderlands, they're all screaming stupid stuuff, too. Yeah. Like, the, it just really tries so hard to keep it jovial. But then, like, there's this... I just... I knew just, like, halfway through this, it's like, oh, they haven't learned. They haven't learned a thing. They're just going to keep doing this. Because, well, you know, they wrote the script recently. Like, yeah. this does not give me confidence that Borderlands 3 is going to have a smarter script than Borderlands 2. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> the, going back to Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, yeah. uh, again, it's just about, like, encounter design for me where, like... Sometimes when you fight a big boss that takes a while to kind of whittle away from, it's nice to have those rush of those 50 dudes that you're just kind of wait, blowing through. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when you when you describe that to me, I'm like, I can see a way that that would make sense and would be... 
I think okay it, in the, the flow of the game. Yeah, it falls apart when you're not blowing through them. Mm. When you come to this part of the game and it's like five minutes long of you just shooting these guys who just pop out of this spot. Sure. That's why it was like way more fun when I was overleveled. Mm. And when I was just hopping in, just pop, 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 pop. My sniper rifle kills a guy in one hit. That feels right. That's fun. Right. Uh, and then it's just, you know, when you're just like, it's like, nope, I'm a badass. Take more hits. It's like, ah, gah. And I just was like mad at it. I was just mad at this game. But you were saying you, you got to a point where like once you got mad, you were just yeah. be running through, right? Yes. And that's when I started just running. Yeah. Right. And so that would that would make the problem even worse because you're not getting like the weapons and experience and resources that you need to like have those fights be easier yeah but I, w I was finding that i mean i was already so that it was like you need to be level 31 i was 37 i was finding that uh there's no difference i mean the boss fights are you just like you die and you shoot until you win yeah uh it's just you know you revive your partners you're good on you, you stay good at reviving each other mm -hmm. uh but like the experience that I would have gotten with those, from those guys would have been marginal. It would have been like 10% of my bar, right? And so it's just, it wouldn't have mattered. There's no reason to really grind for these guys. Do you think that if you were playing with other people and maybe coordinating attacks, um, it would have been more interesting? I mean, we were. I was playing with oh, another person. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it, yes, it was more interesting because of that. Sure. There's almost no way I would have played through the whole thing single player. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that it's also like a fun hangout game. Once you do clear out all those people, you're just two people hanging out in an environment. Yeah. I, I think that is the appeal of Destiny as well. It's just like, oh, now we're here. Now we're our cool things with our cool gear. Uh, like, how are you doing? What do you need? Stuff like that. Like, that. that's fun. It's just fun to hang out in a game environment with other people. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to, to Borderlands 3. I, I played through Borderlands 2 and Borderlands 1, and I, like, I really liked them, but th those games feel so long ago. To me, that like, and I liked what I played of Borderlands Three at E Three. I'm I'm interested to see how I feel now after the Destinies, after the Divisions, after all this stuff. If it if it's still just as good, I think I think I will like it. But uh, just thinking about Destiny and kind of talking about this flow, I think the thing that like carried Destiny for me was like how good the shooting felt, and as a result of that, just like. I feel like you could get in encounters with Destiny where you'd have swarms of enemies and it would just be like, pop, you're dead, pop, you're dead, pop, you're dead. And you you felt great because it wasn't always that great. I mean, obviously you had that with bosses and certain types of enemies and stuff, mm -hmm. but there was enough of that like quick flow, like I'm moving through this place, I'm clearing out these guys, and it just felt like... I don't know. There was constantly moving, and I yeah. think that's always a really, really good feeling. I do think that's an advantage to Destiny. Yeah, I don't know how like uh, division players do it. You know, you can't even jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that was that was a complaint in the Division One is like very bullet spongy enemies, and that exists in the Division Two. But they they took steps to tr try to make that better, and I liked the Division Two. Yeah. A lot. Uh, I really had a good time with it. I do think Division Two has more tangibility. I do think you kind of feel like you're there and you're shooting other humans. You know, like they, they work a ton on their environments and just like the environment is our game. Yeah. This post-apocalyptic world is the entire point of this game. And I think they do a good job with that. Well, I think something, too, that can kind of offset maybe what you're talking about is like the Division 2 has plenty of moments or had plenty of moments for me where it was like, if I am an idiot, I'm going to die. Like there were just there'd be... 
moments of difficulty where like, hey, if you're not in cover, you're going to get wasted. If you're like not coordinating with your teammates, you're going to get wasted. And um, just doing difficult missions with like Huber or with like uh, people that I didn't know, um, if somebody wasn't pulling their weight, we would get stuck. And I really liked that. And so I think you can offset that by being hard, but you can't be a grind all the time. And it sounds like what you're saying with Borderlands is like, it's not really difficult. Mm -hmm. You're not really struggling. You're not really having to like push yourself. It's just a wall. You're just like kind of wading through it. Mm -hmm. Huh. Just pressing R2 until I'm out of ammo and then dying. Yeah. It's like, all right. I would (laughs) love, I I know you're like, hey, I don't like this game and I don't want to force you to, but I would love for you to play Borderlands 3. So weird, Ben. A week ago, I was so on board. Yeah, I was like, man, I'm actually, I'm, ever, I'm about to pre-order. I was right. like, the, and it just wore me out, man. Yeah. Uh, but the week ago, I, I should say that I played uh, the the Dungeons and Dragons DLC. I forget what that one is. The Tiny Tina like hosted yeah. Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yeah. That was super fun and interesting. Nice. They tried a lot of really cool ideas, like just changing things on the fly as she narrates and stuff like that. Uh, more interesting environments and enemies. And by the end, I was just running through those rooms too, because like here's a thousand skeletons, and like I can run by them. Uh, and so. It eventually that one fell off at the end too. But yeah, when they have interesting level design and mission design, uh, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It can be, but yeah, it's it's at its core. I just it's not not a thing I want to touch. Okay, interesting, Kyle. Uh, your <laughs> that is not how I expected this conversation to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when. I knew that you were playing Borderlands. I don't remember how long ago it was. Like, fairly recently. I was like, oh, wow, he's, he's doing that. Like, giving it a chance. Like, I, ex- I expect you to be like, hey, I, I, I'm on board with this now. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of just, like, funny to be like, no, I'm no interest. No, if we recorded, you. And that's what weird. If we recorded this podcast a week ago, that's the <laughs> yeah. conversation yeah. we would have yeah, yeah. had. Yeah. It's actually pretty fun. Right. The dialogue's awful, but it's pretty cool to just hop around in there. Uh, Kyle, a side effect, I don't think it'll necessarily happen because of this conversation. Yeah. Um, but what happens with you and then with other allies as well is like an ally will have like a strong negative opinion about a game mm-hmm. and then people will be like, all the allies hate this. Oh yeah. It's like, no, like I, I wouldn't say I'm a Borderlands super fan, but like I want to play that game. I'm eager to play that game. Yeah. I know Bloodworth is eager to play the game. It's like, no, not all the, the allies hate Borderlands or like what... What other games is this that, like, I don't know, I just feel like that happens sometimes where all the allies are, like, yeah. put into that category. It's like, no, that's not, that's not necessarily true. The thing is, though, like, sometimes it's like, hey, when you dislike something a little, you hate it officially, right? Right. But, like, I do hate this game. Yeah, you hate I, it. I hate it. Mm-hmm. And so that, that can stand on record that Kyle Bossman hates Borderlands. Did you do the, like, hate? <laughs> Were you playing it on PS4? Yeah. Did you do, like, the hate? delete from your hard drive not yet i haven't yeah. done that to it yet I, okay. I will do that though okay it does need to go it's taking up space delete? yeah the hate delete <laughs> sure uh damiani you have been playing and you reviewed uh final fantasy 14 Shadowbringers, which i've heard or seen online i guess i should say from multiple people one of the the best final <laughs> fantasy games ever made like people are really swinging for the fences on on their their love of Shadowbringers, do you agree with this assessment? Yeah, uh, I, I think. Now here's a caveat. 
And the, the, we talked a little bit about actually about this on the Easy Allies podcast about reviews because this topic actually came up about people praising Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers and it being heralded as like heralded as one of the best Final Fantasy games yeah. made. And it was interesting because I want to point out the caveat of that when we're talking about Shadowbringers, it we're talking about the Shadowbringers experience, the expansion content. Yeah. About getting to level 70 and progressing from there. It's not to say anything about the previous content and getting up to that point. Because one of the... I, I'm going to talk a little bit of a negative about Final Fantasy XIV. Since it's getting a lot of positive, there's still one pretty big negative about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Is that unless you want to spend a lot of money, you have to go through everything that preceded Shadowbringers. Which is what? Which is starting from level one and yeah. going through A Realm Reborn, okay. all the patches in A Realm Reborn, then going through Heaven's Ward, all the patches in Heaven's Ward, and then going now through, going through Stormblood and all the patches in Stormblood. And that is a lot... Your mileage may vary. You might have a fantastic time with that. You might be like, why the hell is I have to go through all this crap to get to the new stuff that everyone's like praising and having a great time? I just wanted to experience that content with people. And there are a lot of... I've seen a decent amount of comments going, why don't reviewers talk about the whole experience? You're like, why aren't you talking? Like, it, They're like, I'm new to this game. Why are you neglecting to telling me about, you're saying this game, this expansion is great, but I didn't know I was getting into this with all this other stuff, and now I don't know how I feel I mean, about this. I just, the, that complaint does not make sense. It's not like, no one's talked about that stuff. Yeah. There's, there, <laughs> you, if you want to see reviews for A Realm Reborn or Heaven's Word or Stormblood, that's all out there. There's, there's countless things like that out there. It's not like, it's I, not like this. People are keeping this information secret. No, they're not keeping it secret. I think it's the fact that I, there's an assumption that once you play the, like, you jump into the game, you can just jump to the new content. That mm. they don't understand that you have to either invest a lot, a significant amount of time how, to catch up. How much money? Um, or you have to play. So this is the ne- the biggest negative I want to point out: the ridiculousness of the price it co- the cost to catch up if you just want to skip everything. Uh, you have to first buy an individual item for twenty five dollars. I'll let you skip to the beginning of Shadowbringer's story. Right. But that alone isn't enough. You need to actually have a job that is the right level to be able to do that content. And so on top of that, you have to buy a job boost to boost your a single job to level 70 as well. So combine those together and that's 50 bucks. $25 for the story skip. Don't you think those things should be bundled together? The fact that you would need to make two separate purchases to accomplish <laughs> those two it's, when the when the point is the same. There is they do have a thing that will say, "Hey, if you, you could buy these together, they're not discounted though." But <laughs> you, they they're just like, "Hey, what are you looking what are you looking to do?" Yeah. What yeah. are you looking for? Oh, yeah. you're looking for this? You should probably buy these two together. Right. But when you're paying, I have seen a lot of people in the community point this out that when you're paying more for that than you're paying for the expansion, there's kind of a problem. Wait, so how much is the expansion? Expansion's for 39 uh 40 bucks basically. Mm-hmm. And it let's say you're new to the game, mm-hmm. you, you you have to buy the original game. It's basically a bundle. You could buy it all for like I think 6 50 or 60 dollars or 40 dollars just for the the new expansion. It's always okay. been like 39.99 for the new expansions. Or you got to spend 50 dollars on top of that, to skip ahead and catch up to everything if you're a new player as well. No monthly subscription, though, right? And there's a monthly subscription on top of that. But if you're a new player, you get one month free. Okay. So, yeah. there. How much is the monthly subscription? Um, at th- this point, it starts at, I believe, twelve ninety nine a month. 
That is so much. I feel like I'm paying fourteen ninety nine. So if you're paying more, there's an option. There's there's two subscription tiers. Okay. There's the basic plan, which is just a, like the only difference is how many characters can you make and how many characters per world can you make. And there's also a legacy price as well if you subscribe back in 1.0, whatever one actually that had subscriptions for it. But yeah, it, it, the point is Damiani, it does have a subscription. Damiani, I feel like you're selling me insurance. That, That's no. how I feel. So here's the thing. <laughs> the, this, I had to make a Patreon post explaining all this to new players. I think that was a good players, idea, by the way. Yeah. And I'm not the only one who's doing this. A lot of other people have had to go out there and be like, okay, this is pretty intimidating. Yeah. Like you're hearing all these great things about this game. Right. And it's like, oh, it's going to be so easy. I just jump right in. And it's just like, oh, wait, this this is a pretty involved process here. Mm-hmm. I wish I had some more guidance and had some more resources. And there are really great resources out there. You just got to know where to find them. So sure. having people now direct new players, prospective players, uh, WoW refugees, as they're being called now, mm-hmm. the people coming over from that, huh. how, where they need to go to find this information what and make an informed decision about what's the best course of action for them. Do do, right. do do you feel confident enough that you're familiar with MMO games and MMO gameplay that you could probably job boost and you're well, not going to need to learn from the scratch? The, the term WoW ref- refugee confuses me a little bit because I can understand people unfamiliar with the genre feeling especially intimidated and confused. Um, and I think there are some finer details that may be confusing even if you are familiar with other MMOs. But if you're like, you've, if you've been a diehard WoW fan, a lot of what you're describing is not that different from the way World of Warcraft Yeah, functions. correct me if I'm wrong, though, but with new WoW expansions, uh, you have the, it's easier to just jump into the new stuff. Isn't it typically um, like they you, don't you force can, you to go through like the whole story? Like there's options. You to, can character boost as well to to yeah. You don't you don't have to. And starting with which expansion they offered free uh, with your purchase, you got a free right, boost right, as right, well. Right, right. I don't remember which percentage. It wasn't two. It was only a few expansions ago. They haven't been doing it forever yeah. in their defense. And this is the third expansion for fourteen. So I right. think by like the next one or one after is when they would be the equivalent of WoW. I guess what I'm saying is yeah, so. on, in a, on a very basic level, the concept of character boosts or expansions with continue a continuing story, like those are not new concepts. Oh yeah, that that, that part I don't think is confusing to, sure, to, to sure. that. That, that. I mean, there's other elements of 14 that you know they gotta get acclimated to first, but this is more for the new perspective player. Um, gotcha. And it's a little, as I said, a little intimidating to get over that h- hurdle, but I mean, once you, like another, like another part of it is what they don't, um, how they go back to older content and do they uh, do they tweak it at all? Mm-hmm. Do they adjust it so that's more streamlined, so it's a little bit faster to get through, to catch up? Because A Realm Reborn is a little drawn out. It, yeah. It's probably oh, the yeah. weakest. It's a little drawn out. has a lot of filler main story quests that could easily be axed. And, you know, it, it's something that they've said that the developers have said they would like to go back and reevaluate when they get time. But it's the balance of... How much time do we put into fixing old content that the further along we go in time is more obsolete and irrelevant versus putting all of our efforts into the new content, which clearly in this expansion and in previous expansions has paid 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 off very well for them. And it has worked out very well for them. And it's 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 an interesting balancing act. But I just want to point that out to anyone because a lot of people are hearing how great this is and they want to jump in that, you know, 
look at some resources first. Like you put, you gotta have. It's a very involved game. Right. You're gonna need to put some time into the preparation for getting into the game as well. Yeah, and I, Damiani, you know, despite maybe my questions or confusions, I think that's a very good thing to point out. And it's just a consequence of like a Realm Reborn is what six, seven years old at this point. Yeah, it came out uh, uh, fall of 2013. Yeah. so it's almost six it's years. Almost six years old. Like a few and, months and, away. Yeah. Any any game that is any MMO, especially that that starts to get that kind of life, you you do have to um, expect some complexity. But at the same time, I I I like what you're trying to do, and I, I appreciate that mindset of trying to pe- bring people into the fold and trying to break it down. Um, as easily understandable as possible. But um, I, I don't think maybe you would be going to this much effort if Shadowbringers wasn't worth it. Like, I think that's, yes. the, that's, the, that's the ultimate point of this, yes. is it's like, no, 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 like, you want to experience it because it's so damn good. That's a very good point, and that is a primary reason that me, others, are doing this is because we don't want you to be turned off by that because mm. it's such an amazing experience. In life. And honestly, I'd even argue that despite some of the flaws in the older stuff, a lot of the older stuff is worth going through too. Yeah. In fact, I almost, like I would really highly recommend to anyone who's new to not skip over stuff. Mm. Like you're going to lose out on so much and like there's no rush. You don't need to rush. There's going to be so much stuff awaits you that you're going to be spending a ton of time on that. You do you don't need to rush it. There's like no immediacy to a lot of this stuff like it's not gonna uh, with a few exceptions of a few things limited events nothing's going away like mm-hmm. the core stuff is always gonna be there but yes Shadowbringers catching up to Shadowbringers it is probably the it is the best expansion they've released of the three so far and I think it's the the 14 is that it's basically at its pinnacle right now I, I think it has never been better than what it is right now in terms of just Going through the main story quests, uh, the way that they have streamlined uh, how you play the multiple different jobs that are in the game, um, the tools and quality of life that they've uh, improved. They've had six years to improve all these different things that the community has been asking for. I feel like while it's not quite Fortnite where every week you're getting like brand new stuff and like right. and patch updates for that, you're getting major content updates at least, <clears throat> excuse me, every three months with quality of life and balance updates in between those as well. And by like major, like I used to hear WoW fans or WoW veterans compare what a patch update, not expansion, what a patch update in 14 was, was almost comparable to sometimes what an expansion would bring at points. Like patches in WoW were nowhere near what patches in 14 were. Only I think only recently have they caught on over at Blizzard that, oh, we can make something a little bit more of their patches. And like I'm seeing them like make trailers for their patches, like go all out for that. It's a little bit more expensive. There's they add like new fights, new dungeons, they add like they added a new job in a patch, not an expansion, only uh, a the patch before or two patches before Shadowbringers came out. They had Blue Mage. Yeah. As a job in the middle of an expansion for you. Um it's, in my in my experience with WoW, eventually what it, it kind of felt like was frustrating the community is you, you have this game that's continually expanding and getting more layers and, and adding more things. And not not just with MMOs, I think you can see it in other games as well, where like you had different 
people interested in different things. Like you had people that only cared about PvP. You had people that only cared about uh, the story. You had people that just desperately wanted new classes. And so you like had, had all these things where like different people had different priorities for them. And if all those things like weren't being pushed forward in an equally strong manner, you would inevitably have people be disappointed. Mm. And just from an outside perspective with Shadowbringers, the kind of sense that I'm getting is like there's this pretty expansive like they've just made this game better across the board. Is that an accurate assessment of Shadowbringers? And like, it just seems like everybody's happy with it. I would say that's pretty fair. Um, there, there's still that struggle though of like sure. people asking for stuff that like you like PvP. It isn't the it's not as big in 14 as it is in World of Warcraft. Like, right. There's no getting around that. And like, while they ha- like there was a major overhaul to the entire battle system, which af- by proxy affected. PvP as well. Yeah. The focus on PvP has been pushed till the next major patch, which is this expansion is called five point uh five point which is uh Shadowbringers. Patch five point one will have a proper title. It'll come out in a few months. Do you and feel then like be a P- there'll be a like new PvP maps and stuff like that? So they they focus more on the story and job changes in this one. Do you do, where do you where do you feel like the community's head is at regarding PvP? Because it always seemed like to me it just seemed like something that was there, and it's like not why you played that game. Like it just it just didn't seem like a driving force ex- for yeah. people to play Final Fantasy fourteen. I'm extremely biased on this answer. It's gonna upset some of the the more hardcore PvP fourteen players out there. Yeah. Um, PvP is most definitely not a major focus of Final Fantasy XIV, despite it having multiple PvP modes. They, mm. they, the developers do try. They try to, they try to make it relevant. Um, they have the most the most competitive serious mode is called the Feast. Uh, they have seasons for it. Um, they have like rewards for it. They they try and make it almost like a. They've tried to make it almost like an esports thing. It has not become that. It has not caught on that way. In fact, mo- the community mostly carries the legs for that. And it is honestly, to put it bluntly, it is a very small but very dedicated community. Hmm. And they often get the short end of the stick. Like the, the a lot of the games changes ultimately trickle down to kind of ultimately changing PvP sometimes for the worse. Like it's been more. The more the game gets simplified, it's better for like playing 15, 16 different jobs in PvE, but the complexity of PvP has always been watered down over time, and you see complaints about that. There are other more large-scale PvP modes that I enjoy. Uh, they're under a category called Frontlines, mm-hmm. um, just like large, like up to 72 people fighting each other in a big map, three teams of 24. Um, they have one where they have you can spawn mechs, like you can turn like like Gundam looking things and go across like maps like it's almost like MOBA esque with lanes. They they've done stuff like that. They've tried. They've they've, they've tried to make it and and at times it's been fun. Um, and there are interesting mechanics there. It's just they don't get nearly the amount of love and attention as everything else in that game. Right. And it is just something that they put there for. They understand there's a small community for it and they support it. But it's I don't feel like it's a huge focus for them. And honestly. I kind of personally would wish they would just axe the competitive nature, like the feast. Like I, I wish they would kill that and just focus on the more casual, large-scale stuff because when they make that uh, a relevant thing, it's definitely more active. People tend to have a better time with it. Mm. Like Highly competitive PvP is very frustrating and stressful. And I know some people love it because it pushes your limits, but... 
this is not a PvP game. There's no world PvP. It doesn't revolve around it. Like, it's not like the old school PvP systems. Right. In fact, the way this game works isn't really the best to... It's not the most conducive to PvP play. And it's it has it has its problems with that. It's still enjoyable at points, but right. I wish they would just go a little bit more casual with it. Kyle, uh, I want to I want to rope you into this conversation mm-hmm. um, because, like like we kind of said at the beginning, people are calling this one of the best Final Fantasy games. They're really saying the story is fantastic. Like it's it's worth playing just for that. Uh, as somebody who is very attached to Final Fantasy, and I think Final Fantasy stories, like does that move the meter at all for you it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't it's uh to me it's at this point just the thing that i have to appreciate from afar how how does one appreciate it like that just you uh you're just happy that exists you give it the nod you know (laughs) you uh (laughs) you're like yeah i'm glad it exists I, i when it when it does well it makes me very happy mm-hmm. it, it's cool to see this mmo uh you know realm reborn i think is one of the like just video game history wise one of the coolest comebacks yeah. uh, uh on a single game like within just updating the game itself is really cool but it, it's cool to see it continue to do well after that um i played what i play i guess the beta on ps4 mm-hmm. i played a little bit it's uh to me it's still not driven enough like a final fantasy game is it's going to rely on you caring about like a lot more than i'm willing to care about in terms of my character and progression and you know going to a town and picking up things so you're saying like there's just too many mmo things that you'd like have to instruct yourself on like just to engage with the game yeah and uh this is really weird I just hate how I feel like a tiny person in the environments. Like, I, I feel like the environments are just always extra wide. Okay. Uh, like the towns. You go to a town, it's just, you go to Golden Saucer, it's just, why is everything so wide here? I feel like I'm like a, a two-foot-tall little toy. Well, like... It's all designed for lots of people. It's all designed for, like, yeah. not... Not just like a... I don't know, city streets can be narrow sometimes, but it's just like, no, everything just seems huge. I feel like a doll. Do, do you think you? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm asking. This isn't a troll. Yeah. Do you Do you think it would help if you just you just zoom that camera in? <laughs> you zoom that camera in a little it bit. Wouldn't no, because the proportions are still weird. It's still weird. <laughs> okay. Um, but no, to me, there's like this weird. Uh, I guess silence in between things. Like I watched sure. Damiani's stream, you know what I mean? And like you know, it's not all fully voiced dialogue, and so it's just a lot of like you know just. And I don't know. Every character to me has the same expression, Damiani. Like when all the NPCs that you talk to are like the same thing. So, in that regard, so I, I had like yeah, what Kyle's talking about. There's there is something to be said about the the game engine. This is an engine. It's not just a Realm Reborn. It dates back to OG 1.0. Like this is almost like a 10-year-old engine. It's been reworked. They did they did rework the game, but a lot of the core code and like the models and stuff like they're restricted by this is basically that I think they may have gone on record, but like if they haven't, this is basically a PS3 era game. It, it yeah. is not going to get pushed much further than that, looking like a a middle of the life cycle PS3 game and it was it was 
pretty good for what it was in terms of like character animations, but there's still a lot of ro- like sometimes they could look like robots. There's a little bit of stiffness. Sometimes it looks good, but it's gonna. I think once we get to the new consoles come out and once 6.0 comes out, probably like in two years, the next expansion. I would wager a lot of money that a lot of the reviews and criticisms are going to be, this engine doesn't hold up as well anymore. It might sure. be time for them to make an update and stuff. And, like, that's a big deal. And it's not so simple for them to do. You don't uh, think uh, the next online game is soon? No, because they're still – one, I mean, I feel like 14 is still doing well enough. It's doing 11, extremely well. And 11's well, yeah. doing – they still support 11, for crying out loud, despite wow. them doing that. But I could see them in the in the next few years trying to come up with a strategy, whether it is a, a massive overhaul of 14 where, hey, we're redoing the game engine and stuff. It's going to be like a big – like we're cutting off PS4 support. Like you got to have like a higher – like you got to be on PS5 or a, a better PC. Like they already ended 32-bit support on PC – because they're trying to increase memory limitations, which has nothing to do with really the improving character models or anything like that. It's more about like like inventory stuff, like inventory limits, but it's like stuff like that, which is quality of life. But there might come a point where they're like, okay, this has been a great game, but it might be easier to start over from scratch and make another Final Fantasy online. Mm-hmm. And let's make a like we like let's take the best things we learned from fourteen and other games out there. And let's let's build upon that because I do think there are certain aspects probably that they are restricted by this engine. Mm-hmm. There's only so much they can do. They're doing the best with what they can, and there is a part of me that's could probably get to a point where like I wonder what they could do if they could just build. Uh, Naoki Yoshida and his team could have built this from the ground up because it was he inherited this game and had to turn it around and, and re, uh, like rework what they could, but it wasn't built from scratch. Yeah. So that, that, that's one issue that's always going to plague them. I, I really think, though, that working around those limitations is fascinating to me. And, yeah. and like, I, I love to see how people are trying to solve these extremely difficult problems. And, like, a point of comparison, I think, is, like, telling a compelling and convincing story in a fighting game is super hard. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, what we have to put all of a lot of our resources into is making a good fighting game. Yes. And that has severe limitations. And so trying to tell a story around that uh, that feels natural, but also you have to like fight somebody. You have to do you have to you have to win two rounds to move on or whatever it ends up being, uh, is is going to be a little bit unnatural. I think the same is for MMOs, right? Where it's like we have to accommodate all these people, but we still have to make you feel important and, and all of this stuff. I like seeing how they, they try to approach that and try to take small steps in getting it better. Kyle, do you think that, that maybe what's holding you back is kind of the expectation of Final Fantasy? You know, what, that, is it that name that I think is maybe having these things stand out so much? I think unfortunately not. There's just uh, little appeal of any MMO to me. Sure. You know what I mean? It's not just this one. It it is, to me, just a a genre that requires a lot from you. You have to give it a lot of yourself. Yes. Kyle, totally, man. Like, uh, there have been a couple of nights where I've booted up Final Fantasy 14 because it's like, okay, I got to get through Stormblood before I can get to Shadowbringers. And it just it just is. It's just a lot. It's like, okay, wait, wait how does my class function? All right, where do I need to go? Like, just 
like, trying to get to 70, like, man, that experience bar is filling up really, really slow. I'm enjoying it. I'm having a good time. But just that it, it does. It feels like a lot where you know it's like I'm not going to get through this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just the way that it is. Uh, but, Damiani, going back to Shadowbringer specifically, you've talked about quality of life improvements. You've hinted at the story. Um, but before we move on, I do kind of want to drill down into the specifics a little bit of, like, what specifically are the things in Shadowbringers that make it so good? Like, is it the new jobs? Is it, like, what elements of the story are they working with? What specifically are these quality of life changes? For sure. Yeah, I, I feel like it, it – I apologize. It sounds like I've been a little negative so far in here. I mean, the, my review was so positive. I, 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 I Now that, I, like, it's been more time and stuff and seeing some of the things, it's, like, always nice to, like, kind of keep it balanced and point out the stuff. But – it still doesn't change the fact that Shadowbringers is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And starting with like, a, there's a lot of very specific things in that this does so well. Um, it, it's stuff just as basic as like the zones, how zone uh, the environments, how they look, and their d- overall design. Mm-hmm. Um, Stormblood, uh, they took you to the far east and uh, and uh, a continent called Othard, and then you were in the this desert area of. Uh, the this king, the this kind of conquered area of Alamigo, which is very deserty, and the, my problem was those desert areas all looked very much the same, looked mm-hmm. very bland and boring, and didn't feel. When I play a Final Fantasy game, I like to see them go really crazy with the environments. I expect things that are, that are fantasy, that scream fantasy, whether it's high fantasy or just like something out of like a, a fairy tale for crying out loud. And I didn't get that from Stormblood. Um, Heaven's Ward had its moments as well, but it also felt like it was going for like this like northern like like ice snow theme, and it's you know it's got, it's got dragons, it's kind of cool, but nothing ever felt as unique as the Realm Reborn zones, despite their you know being more small, their uniqueness. And Shadowbringers, the zones made me go yes, like <laughs> Lakeland is this like giant like it looks like. Not it's not cherry blossom teas, but this is like this like this hue of purple that just permeates throughout because of like the grass and the trees, and they have this effect going on because there's something called the flood of light that's kind of like threatening the world. Like light is your enemy, like you like darkness is what you need to embrace to fight against light. It's like this reversal of the classic tropes that you're used to in Final Fantasy. It's like great to see that as well, but just seeing this like. This environment that like this doesn't look like it would be anywhere in reality, and it's yeah. great. And then like the fairy kingdom of uh, Il Meg is just I was like, w- holy crap! Like the use of color in that zone, and then it's dungeon as well for that zone. It just I was like, yes, like please more of this. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see more of this, and even the more simple, like I'd call the more simple looking zones, just the attention to detail. Like they do have a desert looking zone. I'm like, uh oh, here we go again. And the first half of it is like uh, the the opening of it is like eh, it's kind of cool because like the land's been kind of like tilted because like the, it's like on the cusp of where the flood was stopped like this physical like manifestation of like light destroying the land and it's kind of like cracked and broken up the land and it's like all disjointed and stuff yeah. that's kind of cool to look at but then you get to the other side later and it's basically it is the old west they got mine like mine carts like you know rails for them to go down like a trolley system they got like these caves that they go like mining caves and these like old west town and i'm like whoa this is 
kind of nice. I've never seen something like this in, in this game yet. This is nice to see something new like this. And they just keep, they kept outdoing themselves in that. They did, they found the best way, I think, to introduce those zones. And I can't spoil the last zone, but holy shit. I was like, they, like, they pulled this off. I was like, wait, we're going, this? We're seeing something like this? I was just like, it's a secret. Yo, it's a mass like it's a massive spoiler. Don't it, it, don't make him yeah, say. Yeah, I'm not telling. But, so I'm saying like when you're playing through it the first time, you did not know what no, you're about to No, did not know see. what we're going to see. That's and what's cool. even better is the beginning of the zone, they don't reveal like the best part of it. And that best part is like the oh shit moment. Mm. Like the zone itself conceptually is pretty cool, and then you get to the part where like what's this huge part at the there's this whole southern part I can't get to yet and I can't even see what's oh what the hell like and like I thought it was just a cutscene like oh it's just gonna be a stupid it's just gonna be a cutscene we're not actually gonna go to this like no we're going to uh, like you got to uh, yeah man yes the, you you focusing on the environments is really great because that's good environments in MMOs, like that, that can be one of the best aspects by far because you just, due to the structure of that game, you spend so much time there. And so when they go out of their way to make it fascinating, it just makes that, that time that you're investing in uh, so much more rewarding. It for feels sure. really good just to like walk, because you're restricted to being on ground mounts or walking at first. You can't just fly around the zones till later. And like, I like how. Do you still gotta like find the yeah. points? Okay. That's still there, but they've, done, they've learned their lesson. They put them more along the critical path okay. of the story so that they're more obvious to see. You unlock flying a little bit earlier in each zone so that it's not like, oh crap, I'm gonna have to do everything. But like the way you progress through zones, how the quests drag, uh, string you along, I, I like the sights that you see. The, the 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 landmarks that they put along the way are very like they continually impress. But like it's not just the visuals. The soundtrack, I think, as good as the story and some of like the zones are, the soundtrack is the single best thing about this. Nice. Uh, it, it's not like. Well, Roman Born has had weak music before. No, and I know you like you, you've I heard like some that, of this. That fourteen Cowboss music's and, very good. Yes. yes, there is a dungeon. Uh -huh. There's this uh, jungle ruins dungeon, and when you when it kicks off, it starts playing this melody, and I'm like, huh, this sounds pretty cool. And then when it like the when it just drops it, I was like, this is David Wise. This is Donkey Kong Country right here. Like mm -hmm. I was like, in fact, I've not played it for Kyle yet. I was like, Kyle, I wanted I wanted to play. I told you about it now. Yeah, I actually wanted to play it for you and be like, Kyle, have you ever heard the song from Donkey Kong Country Returns? And you'd be like, Yeah, it sounds yeah, familiar. What is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch it is like just uh, like a. a Shadow David Wise, like he just came yeah, in and, and teamed up with Soken, but like that's not even the best song. It just, I just want to illustrate the diversity yeah. that the soundtrack has. Um, like the main theme, I think people have heard by now is this like kind of like cool, like, you know, like a guitar rock theme that plays, yeah. And like it's been the theme for like the trailers, and when it kicks in, they only use it in one spot in this game, or I think one spot in this game, and it's like when they use it, they use it at the perfect spot for when they kicks in, but like. They have this like the the fairy kingdom music. It sounds like Enya. It sounds like a literal Enya song. I'm like, wait, did they actually get Enya to come do the vocals for this? Because it's fantastic. And then the Amarang, uh, the one of the desert zone I was telling you about, that's the old west during the daytime. It's this like tr tranquil trance. And like I had everyone who came in my stream was like, yo, where's where's this sick song from? Like, what playlist are you listening to? I'm like. <laughs> This is in game. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> they're like, I want this music now. Like, you wow. just play the game. And then 
there's a, a forest area where they just went like all out with this song. It's probably like the most impressive song in the game. And it's just every, even like the dungeon music, like the the remix, like they have these techno remix stuff. They it was the most impressive soundtrack through and through. And that's not even to talk about we haven't talked about they dropped the the story raid stuff this week. That was the new thing. Mm. It's been two weeks since the release and they released the new story raid stuff. Yeah. And the first first fight you do, it's a remix of Force Your Way. From oh. Final Fantasy VIII. Sing that one. The battle music from Final Fantasy VIII. Let's see if let's see if it's like da 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 da. You might oh, mistake okay. it for sure, Final sure, Fantasy sure. VII. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's Wait, not. Are, are you being, did no, that, no, no. that help? Yeah, it did. It absolutely did help. They have the. It's o- like the. And then there's the Overworld music. <laughs> yeah. They did a version of the Overworld music as well. Uh. That's weird because they already added gun blades, right? They already that, gave well, their that's firm the thing. The raid theme is Final Fantasy VIII-ish. Oh, it's Eden, so like cool. The, the, the percussion in Force Your Way is like really, really okay. Good. Do you know the summon? Do you know the summon ability or the the special ability Guardian in Final Fantasy VIII? The very elaborate like ability where it like protects the planet and it shoots a beam out into space. And then, like, it ends up hitting the enemy into, like, the galaxy, into the center of a Milky Way galaxy and explodes. Is that the last one? Yeah. Okay. I do uh, remember working hard The very to get first that boss one. in this game, in the raid, story raid, does that move to you. <laughs> and you see it rendered, like, in this game's engine. I was like, wait, what? That's They're actually fun. doing the final. I was like, oh, this is amazing. They take, they took two of my favorite primal fights, Leviathan and Titan. Yeah. And they redid their designs, like the actual ant character models for both. And they also redid their song. Like their songs have been done, like I think twice now. They've done a third version now that is like just outstanding. I was like, how do you keep coming up with amazing ways to do the same song but like remixing it? Yeah. Freaking Titan, it like embraces this fight that caused so much trouble for like a. Uh, old school players of Final Fantasy XIV. It like embraces those tropes of being knocked off by ridiculous like moves that like you just can't see or are telegraphed. It does this thing, like it, it messes with you because it used to be like if you're in front of it, it did this move that would knock you off. Now it's like it does the complete opposite. Like if you're in front of it, you're safe, but then you gotta move to the side. The thing it does that's so amazing in the fight he transforms. He's got like these gears on him, these spinning like wheel things. Yeah. He go he turns into a Mario Kart and drives around the arena yeah. and like tries to knock you off. It's like you just tra- like a transformer. You go bum, 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 and he goes Vroom, and it's like what? The and then shit? instead of doing damage to you, he just tries to knock he you off. He literally knocks you off the arena so you die. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and he keeps going back and forth really fast, and it's just like stop, stop driving around. It's not fair. Is is Guardian an optional summon in Final Fantasy VIII? Yeah, I mean they're all optional. No, no, no I mean okay. I, I just don't think I encountered Guardian of Oh, Final like Fantasy you gotta go, like Diablo, you gotta go out of your way for, I think. Well, you gotta do the lamp for Diablos. Diablos, exactly. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Final Fantasy VIII is, is frustrating for me because uh, when I played it, I got, I got to this point and it wasn't like a battle that tripped me up. I just like couldn't figure out like the spot that I needed to go. And oh, so like sure. I got fairly far into that game and then i just got stuck and so i don't think like whatever whatever you're the this guardian force i just don't think i saw i'm looking game. forward to uh 
remake so much. Yeah, me too. Remastered, me too. excuse me. Remastered. Me yes. Make it right. Yeah. Finish that off. See everything in that game. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, maybe not everything, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean. Sorry, there was one thing I wanted to say before sure. we move on from 14, is that, uh, you know, I was like criticizing it for being silent and not having voiceover, but I think it's also... Super important. I think they presume you are talking to other humans at the time. Maybe a headset, but you know, like hmm. you can't. You have a split uh, focus. You know what I mean. You can go back and read that at any point. Yeah. In Borderlands, for instance, it is annoying when those characters are trying to talk when you are trying to talk. You have some characters yeah. like, oh, if I could call that guy something, it would be douche rocket. And I'm just like, so I have to like wait till this dialogue is done to just continue the conversation I was having. Right. Yeah. But like, how how do you how do you solve that realistically? Like, I I think I think for fourteen it works. Hey, if this is an online game, if you're going to be communicating with people, it, yeah. you know what I mean. It actually works just to have written dialogue. Yeah, well, most of the main story stuff, the cutscenes you're experiencing by yourself, so they're fully those are mostly fully voiced. They you're, do. You're not with friends during that stuff. They're, they're, it's during dungeons. Yeah. You are when you run a dungeon, but there really isn't a lot of voice work during that. There's like an opening cutscene that introduces like. Like any environment, it's like an opening environment shot, and at the end, uh, there's like a little like you won celebration, like a little quick cutscene. But then when you exit, they've gotten they gotten better at this. They they don't make you hold up other players mm -hmm. from oh I'm in a cutscene, we gotta wait for you. They wait till you like exit the dungeon, and then they do like the post dungeon cutscene for you. Then cool, where they have more story stuff. Oh, we're gonna have more dialogue. So a lot of the dialogue does happen when you're by yourself, but. In boss battles, they, like the the like the story raid stuff, there is sometimes spoken dialogue um, by bosses, and it's nice to hear it. You know, sometimes it's in t it's important, but they also do like dialogue bubbles as well sure. in case you don't hear it because it's important for cues. But I mean, as awesome as all this sounds, I know we're gonna be back here talking about this in a few months when uh, that near raid drops. <laughs> man, and... it's it's hard. Like, <laughs> I, there have been multiple frame traps where I'm like, man, I really need to play Final Fantasy XIV. It's true, but like th this year especially, like I'm playing stuff all the time and feeling constantly behind, and like it's so hard for me. It's it, it, like it's not like a real problem. I don't want to like overemphasize it, but it's something that like. I do carry a lot of guilt over, like, mm -hmm. and it's it's frustrating because like, <laughs> I really am spending a huge, enormous time playing games, and I I'm in such a privileged position to do it, and I always feel guilty that I'm not playing more, and like, it's just not a healthy way to live. It's like, not, dude, no. Like, you have to just accept that there's only so much you can do, and I'm like still in the process of trying to accept that, <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, like with 14, I, I would love to. I, I really would. Like that is such a sincere statement of like, man, I'd love to play 14. But uh, Brandon said something interesting oh. um, about Monster Hunter World because I asked him about that. And he was like, you know, we kind of got that covered. Like I know that there are going to be multiple allies that play that. And it's like, it's not that I wouldn't enjoy that, but like my time could probably be spent doing other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, like – Kind of we have to think about it like that, too, where it's like, I know you and Brad are, are caught up, and, like, I, I want to play it just on my own, personally, but at least we have allies that are, like, talking about it and, like, up to date with it and can speak to it. And so, like, maybe my time would be better spent on things that we aren't covering to that degree. I just thought that was a good perspective. That's all. Um, but, Kyle, mm -hmm. you said the forbidden thing. 
Oh, no, it's always me. Yeah, <laughs> it is you. Uh, this time it was Disney XD. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no explanation given. If I just said Disney Channel, we would have been fine. Yeah, you, yeah, it was me. Uh, yeah. I don't you know. You had to go with XD. I d- don't don't I, push it. Don't I push it. the XD, yeah. Ugh. Had to do it. Um, but for this, this caught in a frame trap, so uh, you're familiar with the show Jeopardy. Yes. They had a classic video games category on Jeopardy. I have five questions kind of going up. So we're starting with the $200 one and going all the way up to the $1,000 one. These are actual Jeopardy These questions? These are actual word-for-word uh, Jeopardy questions. All right, let's win some money here. I hope they're word-for-word. I, I, like, looked at them and then wrote them down. So if there's anything right. wrong. But, like, you know, they should be accurate. Anyway, um, so you guys are going to be competing. The rule of Jeopardy, of course, is that you have to answer... With a question. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you these real Jeopardy questions. Make sure you phrase the answer in the form of a question, uh, and whoever comes out first and says it, uh, that'll be great. All right. The first question is, try explaining to your kids how this 1972 four-letter arcade game from Atari was... Uh-uh. Th- what is Pong? Correct. Kyle's on the board. Introduced in 1982, this sequel, the way they phrase these questions, this sequel had as big an appetite as her male predecessor. Uh -uh. What is Ms. Pac-Man? Correct! Damiani did the motion for the... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Number three, he was a bouncing orange critter with a big nose and an asterisk in his name. An asterisk in his name. Uh Uh-uh. What is Damiani? Okay, hold on. Damiani, <laughs> I can't tell. Like, just be vocal. I will respond to, to voice. Kyle, what is Cubert? Cubert yeah. is correct. You know what's I was, weird? I was worried that these were going to be a little too easy. I was going to say, what is Zoink? Oh. My first impulse was the word Zoink. Not familiar with Zoink. I don't think Zoink's a thing. Okay. <laughs> For some reason, I was like, I was imagining Cubert, and I was like, is that thing's named Zoink? Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. But it's always swearing. I don't even know where Zoink came from. Okay. Uh, number four, appropriately, the highest Lance won in this classic game. Less appropriately, oh, babe. Damiani. Joust. Joust! Damiani on the board. Uh, Damiani said one word and oh, did not phrase oh, it in yeah. his former Kyle, Kyle, I was so excited that yeah. Damiani uh, was answering yeah. that I completely <laughs> did not pay attention yeah, to the that's fact. That's why I don't watch him Trebek's play Trebek's not giving you the points, yeah. dude. Like, format <laughs> Kyle, always would you like me. to answer? What is joust? What is joust? <laughs> Kyle, Kyle takes it. You know what? That hurts, but you're right, you're right to do that. All right, the last one. This is a $1,000 question. Okay. Make sure you answer in the form of a question. You had left, middle, and right fire buttons in this game. Also, the name of a U.S. Army unit known as MICOM. Uh-uh. What is Missile Command? What is Missile Command mm. is right. Uh, Kyle, that was a clean sweep. <laughs> that was a clean sweep. I do believe Damiani knew some and just had a hard time buzzing in. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell if there was, like, maybe a little bit of doubt there. Yeah. I'm not, like, arcade retro stuff. Not the biggest sure. knowledge about. Like, I mean, I know him eventually, but also, like... Jeopardy's format has always messed with me. Sure. Like having to like have the like it giving you the answer and, and think of the question. It's like yeah. It's backwards in my head and I'm like, eh, it takes me an extra second. So congrats, Kyle. Thanks. Yeah. Um part of the reason why I wanted to do this is just because I thought it was interesting, like the kinds of questions that they ask. Like when they include video games, how do they include them? Yeah. Of course this category was focused on classic games. But. Right. And which I think, you know, like 
uh, I don't even know what an average Jeopardy age is, age range, yeah. but I bet they nailed that category. Yeah, so this category was a clean sweep. I yeah. also, I was initially just going to do like different video game questions, not necessarily classic focus, but mm-hmm. the ones that were like modern were way too easy. Oh, got it. That's funny. <laughs> um, like they, they just, they pretty much answered themselves. Um, and it's funny because the classic cate- game category, kind of speaking to your age point, they crushed it. Like they burned yeah. through, at least in the YouTube clip that I was watching, they burned through it. Whereas the modern one, they fumbled abysmally. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, Kyle, you're going to have to think of a way to get us out of here. Maybe, maybe classic video game inspired, maybe not. Okay. But before we get there, mm-hmm. this wonderful segment is brought to you by some sponsors. First, we have Greg the Dark Knight Kettering. Thank you, Greg. Next, we have Zoteg. Do you play Final Fantasy XIV? Are you on the Crystal Data Center? Search at Zoteg on Twitter for a link to an EZA Crystal Discord server. Thank you, Zoteg. Next, we have JoJo's Dentco. Thank you, JoJo's Dentco. After that, we have Accounts Payable, who once again uh, will let us give a free shout-out to anything. Concept, game, a video, whatever you want it to be. Oh, can I do my shout-outs now? I could do this with this opportunity. You can do it. The three games that I want to... I'm going to do three. Okay. Do do it. Okay. Go go nuts. Here are the three games I couldn't get on the podcast this week, so we got them in there. Shout-out to Breath of Fire 4. Shout-out. Shout-out to Mextermination Force. Big shout-out. And shout out to Carol Blaster. Shout nice. out. Three highly recommended games. Uh, Kyle, I'm going yeah. to go a little bit farther with that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In addition to shouting them out, which yeah. I appreciate, give me, give me like a one to two sentence summation of what, what's cool about them. Breath of Fire 4, uh, artful pixel art, uh, fun RPG that just doesn't wallow for too long. Uh, a lot of wallowing in RPGs, I feel mm-hmm. like. Mextermination Force, it's. Uh, Bionic Commando, the format of Bionic Commando, but the levels are only bosses, but they're bosses that act like levels. They're just huge robotic bosses. Really fun game. Carol Blaster, uh, 2D shooter, really fun, from the Cave Story designer. Uh, excellent, fun pl- game to play. Damien, I think you reviewed Carol Blaster GT. Did you? I did. What'd you give it? Pretty good score. I'd give that thing like a 9.3, dude. I forget what it was. Ryan Stevens put me this said you're reviewing this one day. Wow. It's like he said, here you go, you're reviewing it. I'm yeah. Like, okay. But yeah, it was good, though. Thank you, Accounts Payable. Um, next, we have Gift of Heaven. Speaking of RPGs, Gift of Heaven is a free 3DS RPG which strives to be as funny as Earthbound, efficient as Chrono Trigger, and epic as Final Fantasy VI. Gift of Heaven quadruples every data limit of RPG Maker FES, using passwords to unite four game files as one bold explosion. O.M. Hawkstelter is cooking the rip-roaring, full-blast, Tolkien, Potter, Forest Gump combo meal you deserve to eat. And them Hawkstelters don't skimp on the shrimp. Gift of Heaven's 43-minute promotional short film, Symphonia Anathema, is now available on the official Gift of Heaven YouTube channel. You could download the prologue August 7th via the RPG Maker FES 3DS app. Crunch time is here and the pain is brutal. I must keep reminding myself that I am on a holy mission. I want to change the world, but more importantly, I seek the Hall of Greats. Thank you, Gift of Heaven. That is our last regular sponsor. Now it's time for the Mega Sponsor. We've got ViewSonic, which is pretty cool. 
Uh, you probably know ViewSonic as the California-based company that's been one of the world's leading monitor providers for the past 30 years. Now, with ViewSonic Elite, they're bringing gamers an expansive line of professional gaming monitors. Whether you want to play like the pros on the esports stage or become immersed in the action set in front of you, ViewSonic Elite has you covered with a range of powerful specs and minimalist designs that are a tasteful addition to any modern PC setup. Learn more about ViewSonic Elite, new product releases, and upcoming giveaways on social media by following at ViewSonic Gaming or visiting ViewSonic.com slash Elite. Kyle, have you figured out a way to get us out of here? You know what classic arcade game I think holds up, design-wise? Mm. Frogger. Sure. I think Frogger has legitimately good art design and game design. And okay. so, we're about to ride a truck right out of here. <laughs> We hit a frog. I was worried there for a second that that was only going to put us deeper in the frame. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I think the horrible accident at the end. (laughs) The sacrifice. We we made it out. Um, I want to talk about a game. So it's, like I mentioned, um, I have been pretty preoccupied with Fire Emblem that I that I want to talk about it. Um, so I haven't had too much time for other things. Uh, just got to play a little bit of Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. But I did dabble in Void Bastards. Oh, cool. Um, and Void, yeah. it was cool. It was one of those experiences where... I didn't really know what to think. Like, I had kind of tuned into streams, but I, they didn't give me a great sense of, like, what is this game really? And so it, I was going into it pretty fresh. Um, and, man, I, I like it. Like, I, I was interested in it, but it, it really uh, grabbed me in a way that I wasn't expecting. And kind of the setup for it is it's this roguelike game, and you play as a prisoner, and you're, the, the game will be like, hey, you need to find these things. And it will tell you, like, hey, it's on this ship over here. But to get there, you kind of have to sh- hop from ship to ship. So you're on this map. And there are all these points. And all these points are different ships. And you have to keep jumping from point to point in your own ship to find the items that you need. And uh, it's really cool because... You can decide. You're very limited on resources. So when you when you start, you'll get a prisoner, and you like don't know what their qualities are going to be. So they like I had one where it was like you're you're a smoker, and so you might just like randomly cough as you're walking around and alert enemies. And so that's something you have to deal with. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's there's just a ton of randomness. So you might uh, you don't know what the map is going to look like, and you only have a limited number of fuel. So eventually you'll have to stop. And, like, get fuel so you can keep pushing across the map. Um, And if you do decide to land, like, before you land, you can kind of see, like, okay, it's this type of ship. I know there's going to be, like, a med station on there so I can heal. Or I know there's going to be food and I need food so I don't starve. Um, And so that I can also get health back from food. And so you kind of have to make these decisions, like, okay, do I want to stop here or do I want to keep going on? Is this going to be too difficult for me or not? Um, and you only start out with a pistol. And another reason you want to explore is because you'll find items where you can craft new guns and new things that'll help and make it easier. And also, when you die and you get a new prisoner, and the way that it does it is is very funny, where, like, 
you're you're just you're just completed completely like indispensable. Uh, I'm sorry, you're treated as completely disposable by like this robot. Where he's like, okay, like bring another one on. It's very like cold corporate feeling with it, um, which kind of contextualizes the fact that you're playing as a bunch of different people. It's a it's a nice little wrapper around the whole thing, um, and whatever the things that you get. For one character, uh, on the next one, you'll have access to that stuff. And so it's like you're, you're, you're making it a little bit easier for yourself uh, with death. Um, but when you do land on a ship, let's say you decide to explore, you are limited by oxygen. So it's like you have seven minutes of oxygen. Uh, try to, like, get as much as you can. And you're limited on ammo. And, like, if you run out of ammo, like, that's it unless you find some. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I, I think design-wise, what is cool about this game is I, I feel like they really thought about the tutorialization where they wanted to explain enough to you that you could understand how the flow worked, but they didn't want to explain so much that they would be kind of creating the strategy for you. And it's been really satisfying just at the very beginning of the game. I've only played about an hour of this, where, like, you're you're run into these weird creatures and some of them are called like tourists and they're these like big lumps that are kind of just like slide across the ground and when you get close to them they'll kind of light up like a light bulb and then like a second later they'll explode and i was shooting them at first um and i learned very quickly like oh they they have a, an explosion radius and so if i shoot them too close like i'm going to get hurt and they can do a lot of damage. And so it's like, okay, well, I know that. Like, don't shoot them close. But then I was like, maybe I shouldn't spend ammo on them at all. Like, just run up to them, trigger their explosion, and try to frantically run away. And that was cool, too, where it was like, oh, okay, I'm understanding these enemies. Like, I can really run out of ammo so fast. I don't need to kill them. Um, and you're just constantly making decisions like that, where it's like, okay, I'm worrying about my oxygen. How much of this ship do I really want to explore? Like, is it better to risk it and spend resources and hurt myself because it's like once you get damaged like you're carrying that damage with you unless you eat food or go to a med station it's not like it recovers um when you go back to your ship um and there have even been moments where i'm like oh my god like everything here is way too strong like going into the ship and being like nope and turning (laughs) right back around um and and going back to the safety of my own ship and it's just yeah i i love that i love that that feeling of of learning and discovery in games where like they give you enough that you can do it and you can piece that stuff together and you're not running into that wall of like, wait, like I'm screwed. Why did this happen? Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's just a really fun, cool game. Uh, it has like this neat, like uh, cell shaded comic book aesthetic. And even when you die, there will be like, it'll present itself in like a panel format where it'll be like, okay, yep. Another person shuffle them in. It'll be like panel to panel and you're clicking through. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's really great so far. Um, I'm, I'm curious once I play more of it, and I'd be interested to see other opinions as well as like what people don't like about it. Um, the shooting feels like it's intentionally a little simple. Like you can't aim down sights, for instance. Mm. Um, and so it's just, it's just as simple as possible for you to like, I, I don't think they want you to like circumvent the decisions that you need to make. Like, they don't want you to be able to to cheese it where it's, like, too easy for you to get through or, like, make it too easy to hit things. 
because I think they, they kind of want to have that decision of like, no, I'm deciding to shoot this thing, be kind of a risk, kind of have it be more of that strategy aspect as opposed to a, a shooter aspect. Um, not that that isn't there, it totally is, but I, I like that. And I think it's an interesting kind of like, how much of a shooter do we make this? How much of like a, a strategy survival game do we make this? And, and the push and pull between those things. Uh, it's what I wanted to talk about, Ben, is because I think very few video game trailers are visually striking. And this yeah. one is. Right. When I saw that trailer, I'm like, wow, this game looks different. Right. And uh, I am just curious if it holds up throughout gameplay. You know, uh, does it still feel good? Does it still look... Uh, interesting to you after an hour or so. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it... <laughs> it definitely... Like, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, for instance, yeah. where we kind of had the conversation of, like, I wonder if this will still be good at the end of 10 hours, and I kind of feel like, maybe, like, I like it right now, but I'm not 100% convinced that I'm going to feel as strongly about it at the end of the 10 hours as... I am at the very beginning. With Void Bastards, I feel like I, I would at least right now. It's hard to say that sure. with confidence, but I stopped playing because I had other things to do, not because I was bored or it was getting repetitive or I felt like the game was being unfair. It was like, oh, man, I, I could keep playing this. Yeah. It's kind of how I felt with Dota Underlords. I was like, no, I have to stop. Otherwise, I'm just going to eat up way more time playing this. Um, but, Kyle, I think the... The thing that might be tough is it definitely feels like a roguelite where it's like you're you're playing it for that thrill of survival, for that thrill of seeing how far you can get along this map, for that thrill of of unlocking new things. Uh, there, there's context for sure, um, and there's humor, and it's a cool visual style. But there's not really you're not you're not in it for the story, right. as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, does that immediately turn you off? No. Like to me, it sounds like. FTL. It sounds like FTL, except right. like th your encounters are just first-person levels. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so yeah, I mean, like t to me, having to redo stuff is always annoying. You know what I mean? So like losing that progress, and like even if I have a tiny bonus, it just kind of sucks to have to go and through that part over and over. It starts from square one. Um, uh, but. I like. I get the appeal, man. Yeah. You know, and Damiani's still playing FTL because he gets a different. I don't say story, scenario each time. Right. And so, yeah, like I, I can see where it's like the unknown is what makes it exciting. You can't speed run it. You can't be like, oh, okay, I know there's health in that room and I know that I can get ammo in that room. It is super fun than the idea that you're on a, on a spaceship and you don't know where to go. Right. That's really cool. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, I get that it helps games. It, it definitely helps games. Yeah, Um not knowing where to go, like, I just, I love how they kind of break down the decisions that you have to make. Because when you go to a ship, there's a room, there's a room in each ship that you can go to that I've seen so far where it's like, you can reveal information. Like, if you need fuel, you can go to this room and hit this button and you can see where the fuel is. But it's like, do I even want to do that? Like, do I need that information? And you can spend money. You have this currency where it's like, okay, we'll reveal where the fuel is for free. But if you want us to show, if you want us to show you where the enemies are on the ship, you have to pay money. So it's another decision that you have to make, and it's like, is it worth it? Like I know the things here aren't maybe that difficult, but I'm low on ammo. I may be low on health. Is, how expensive is it? Um, I think, I think it's like ten. I want to say ten. I guess I mean, like, is it a marginal cost, or is it like, oh, that costs a lot? 
You know what I mean? That's it depends what on your situation. It depends on how okay. much money you found at that point. Like it, it yeah. could feel like a lot, and yeah. it has felt like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then other times it's like, oh, I have enough money that it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, and so it just depends on the situation. And that's that's the thing is like when you get a new prisoner, it's like, oh, I don't have any pistol ammo. I'll have to use other things. And like I there was this gun where I had a lot of ammo, and I was like, oh, what does this do? And you shoot an enemy and you'll poison them. And it does very slowly damage over time. And it's like, oh, this will kill them. But I like I have to shoot them, wait for them to chase after me, not get hit, and then they'll die. Um, but I have a lot more ammo for this thing than I do the other thing. So I'm going to try to use this. I'm going to try to make this work. And I love that. Like I feel like the game is just constantly changing the way that I play. And it feels so smart where it's like yeah. any decision that you make, like you got to work around it somehow. Like There's going to be a huge cost that you're going to pay for down the line. Um, and I think that's really cool. So yeah, um, I would like to play more of it. Um, it's 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 that kind of thing where like the first hour was strong enough where it's like, man, this feels like it could be in my top ten for the year. Wow! But it's like you're saying, will I feel this way after ten hours? I don't know. Sure, could go either way. Yeah, I'm very curious when you play more of it, Ben. Yeah, because part of the appeal of like for me for FTL is like. You're talking about like the phase that you're in right now where like you're still learning situations and like what can I do to react in these situations and which choices will have which effects and like kind of like not seeing everything you can throw at you but like being better able to read situations and react to them. Right. Where the the point like in FTL it's like you feel helpless, very much helpless in the beginning. You feel like the odds are very much stacked against you. Right. And after so much time playing that game you get to a point where you feel – no. Despite any situation, I feel like I have a realistic chance of turning it into something I can I can salvage, mm-hmm. and I feel like I can be in commanded of a lot of situations because I I know I could try and take this course of action. I'm kind of curious if this game will eventually feel like that too, where it turns from a feeling of like the unknown and not really knowing any like no, not knowing enough and like still reacting to situations based on limited information to the point where you're like. I love seeing what how crazy things can get and how I can get out of them. Like what I come up with to get out of them because I feel like I have that command over everything in the game that I feel I could legitimately get out of any situation um, I, I, if I'm smart enough, essentially. Right. And I that feel there's no ship he would turn around in, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Essentially, yeah. Like that's what I love about FTL is like I keep pushing to see what where the limits are like what is an unwinnable situation like where does it get to the part where like there's almost nothing you could have done in situation which you know I, lo- I love trying to find where those points are and in this game you know how far will the limits of this game stretch essentially right um and that that's a really good point that you bring up because like n- now like th- in that hour of playtime a lot of that is just trying to figure out like all right like how do i move forward in this like it, it it's there's not really an expectation of like I'm gonna get to the end or I'm gonna like get all the way down this map and so I wonder like once you kind of get to that point, do you reach a section where it's like okay like yeah technically you can get through this but it feels so brutal that like you die and then it's like man do I really wanna do that whole trek again I don't know and so yeah I am curious how it'll handle like mid and late game stuff and and if it is designed in a way where you feel that motivation to keep going and you feel like you um, want to, and it it doesn't become a chore. Yeah. For sure. Um, Today, on this frame trap, we are going to have 
a hotake. Oh, damn it! That is is a little bit more. I don't know if theoretical is the right word, but uh, broad. It's it's something God. that. I, I think we might have talked about before on a, on a past frame track. We're 86 episodes in the show, so I'm not sure if we've discussed it before. But it's it's something where, like, as I was sifting through topics for frame trap, it definitely came into my mind. And I thought, like, you guys would have some insightful things to say about this. So there was a show that I really liked called Excellent Adventures. I loved it. It was, like, my favorite thing on the Internet. <laughs> uh, it was with Gutex and Mike Ross. And oh, they would yeah. sit down and, and play like Street Fighter 4 or Street Fighter 5 together. And they had amazing chemistry. And they're just sitting on a couch. Right. Yeah. Right. And they like, I, I feel like they were both players where they weren't like the absolute best in the world. And so like they would still lose and get salty about it. And that was really fun. Mm-hmm. But they were good enough that it was entertaining watching them play. Yeah. Um, and then they would get guests on and then the banter that they would have with guests. It just... It felt like two really good fighting game players in a room having the time of their lives. And um, on top of that, they also had the recipe with uh, Say Jam and Tasty Steve, and that was really entertaining as well, where they also had great chemistry, and it was fun watching them play Tekken or Guilty Gear, whatever you know they ended up playing. Um, the reason why I'm bringing that, this up is I feel like not just within fighting games, but within a lot of genres a show like that is extremely valuable, or at least it was really valuable to me. Um, it, I, I would say Excellent Adventures was a huge contributing factor in me being increasingly interested in fighting games. Like, it, it pushed that love forward just because it, they made it look like it was so much fun. And you would kind of get a mixture of everything. You would get, like... You would just, just on a basic level, you would get the the highs of victory and the salt of defeat. Mm-hmm. But you would also get them talking about their life in the community and talking about the community aspect. Or you would get them talking about breaking down like different mechanical things where it's like, oh, this is why this thing happened. Um, and I think that is really valuable um, because it wasn't like like a stream where it's like, okay, this person is streaming for eight hours. And I love streams. I watch streams all the time. Um, but I have a couple of frustrations with streams. Sure. And those are that, like, I know it's a consequence of the job. I know that we do it. But it can be difficult when you're, like, trying to watch somebody and every five minutes it's like, oh, wow, thank you for the $10. Thank you for the $20. Especially if they're big name and it's happening all the time. It just, it's a consequence. It's not even, like, a criticism, but it hurts the viewing experience, mm-hmm. in my opinion. The other thing is, is, like, when you do something so long form like that, it can be hard to break down and it can be hard to commit to. Um, and it can be hard to know like what you're going to get out of it because it's just them kind of hanging out for six hours. And so I think there's like a really big opportunity for games that are trying to have these lengthy life cycles to have like an excellent adventures where it's just two people who know what they're talking about, who have great chemistry and charisma it doesn't have to be two people. You could do a bunch of different formats. But, like, getting out there in a way that, that like, makes their game seem fun and can appeal to both hardcore people and casual people. And thinking about, like, the next generation, like, I would love to see more games do that. I would love, like, on the official Nintendo channel, like, an excellent adventures for Smash or so that type of format where mm-hmm. I can tune into people that are humorous, that have fun, um, that 
it'd be fun just watching them play Smash in every week, and it's not, you know, 10 hours long, um, and they get guests in. Do you think the concept that I'm describing is a possibility? Is it worth the money? Can it be done in a way that people like? I think it's very hard to replicate what Mike Ross and Gutex had. You know what I mean? It, it's mm-hmm. it's hard to say like get me get me another two of those. You know, it's it's super hard to do that. Mm-hmm. They're both very funny in very unique ways, and 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 as you said, like just play off each other super well. Um, but I mean, uh, shoot, I think they stopped just because they got burnt out from it, right? Like they just like I don't know if views were down or anything, but yeah. To my understanding, so Microsoft also had uh, Capcom Pro Talk, mm-hmm. and there was a pretty big frustration where Capcom was like, this isn't making us any money, and yeah. I think he felt pretty bitter about that because of how much work he put into it and not getting that recognition, um, and just esports as a whole. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a falling out uh, with Excellent Adventures. Um, and I, I that leads me to the second part of my question, sure. is like... <laughs> I think for these things to really work, to get the talent that you need and to get the production that you need to really make it appealing, uh, you need, like, the game companies to get behind it. You need support from a Nintendo or a Capcom or whatever it is. But that brings in a lot of problems. They have to understand why it's special. Mm -hmm. And they have to do it in a way that supports it and allows it to continually grow but doesn't stifle it, doesn't feel sanitized, doesn't feel corporate, that keeps the spirit of these are just people who love this. And, like, do you think maybe those two mentalities of, like, ultimately at the end of the day we're trying to sell a product, like, can authenticity work in that environment? It's tough. It's tough because, like, Nintendo currently is on their YouTube channel I'm trying to be polite, but let's not be uh, uninteresting. You know, they're very yeah. professional. They they get their information across, but I think there is nothing interesting about how they do it. Even when it's just like the Nindies Direct, it's just, hi, I'm this person. Here's a pun. Here's the game. And like even, even like the E3 Nintendo Directs where they would like do interviews, those were at least like interesting. They had like some sort of visual aspect to it. Like here's Star Fox Zero and here's, you know, I'm in Japan for this to explain to you what, what this stuff means to me. Like that's still like interesting at least. But I think, yeah, their YouTube presence currently is is very Disney Channel. No, not even XD, dude. Just straight Disney <laughs> Channel. But I think that's what they want to be, right? If I came yeah. in here just being like, be weird, guys. Where's your wacky lizard stuff? They'd be like, what? And it's just like, just shoot slime out of your mouths. And they'd be like, stop it. We, we are happy with our views. We're doing extremely well on this channel. Uh, and they are, right? And so, like, it'd have to be, Ben, I think, like a mid-tier publisher who would take the chance on something like this. Yeah. You, you definitely need someone who's willing to take the risk to, to, to basically – you talked about authenticity. And I, I think that's a hard, a hard thing to nail – from a corporate perspective because you're already fighting an uphill battle of that. You're viewed as a company. You're viewed as no matter what, no matter how much you're trying to be my friend, no matter how much you're trying to seem cool and very passionate about this, at the end of the day, you're still trying to sell me a product and I'm a consumer. And I feel like with bigger companies, they can try and do that, but you usually get like too many cooks in the kitchen. 
you have like marketing coming in, sales people get like all these people get involved because they all have stakes in this product and they all want to see it succeed and they all have different visions and they just collide and you get something that like like uh, yeah again I'm trying to not, not to be mean but like Nintendo tries to do Nintendo Minute mm-hmm. and like I don't find any of those interesting. And it's like their best attempt to like, hey, we're gonna show you what's like cool this week, you know, what's you know, like what you should be interested in, and it just comes off so dry and stale. Even their Nintendo Power podcast, such a huge opportunity there, it still comes off way too procedural. Mm-hmm. It still comes off as we have certain bullet points, marketing points we need to hit, despite maybe trying to like wrap in a cool interview here and there with somebody. But it's still trying to sell me something. Right. You, you, there are certain things, and there are always going to be certain things that are off limits. Where, uh, where the flip side, the complete opposite, is someone who's already a person who's involved in the community. So, like you're talking about, like uh, Microsoft and Gutex, mm. they weren't originally employees of these companies. They were doing it because they love this. They they love fighting games. They love Street Fighter. They were doing it out of genuine passion for what they were covering. Yeah. And. That also comes with risk as well. It's like, can a company like, oh, they're saying nice things about herself, but what happens when they start being critical of it? Do we want to be supporting that message where they're being too critical of our product? Oh, let's get them involved. Let's bring them into the fold. And now there's like guidelines. Like you, you, it becomes a balancing act. And now do you lose some of that authenticity when you kind of like endorse it, when you become official and give some guidelines? But as you said, uh, like a, a mid-tier company might be willing to take that risk. Like, hey, we actually have no guidelines for you. Right. Other than saying profanity and like calling this game a piece of shit or something, go all out, be you, and do what you want to do. But I feel once those things become too successful, eventually things get popular, more people get involved, more money gets involved. Eventually it's going to get to a point where all good things come to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the only way for this to exist is you have, you can't, I, I feel it's almost impossible, Ben, to have best of both worlds. I feel like you either have to tr- let someone in the community be the voice and make that type of show, like a group of people, two people, or even an individual who fulfills that role and like can do like an excellent adventures type show for a different game. Or you got to accept like maybe better production values, like more corporate and more structured, but you're losing a bit of that authenticity. Like it's it's like lightning in a bottle almost with yeah. like with, with excellent adventures. Like I don't think you can understand what it took to make it, but replicating it, there's no formula to replicate like replicate that uh, like a hundred percent. And I I don't think this is as much as I love excellent adventures and do want to see that like just come back. In exactly the way that it was. You're right. And yeah. I, I, I accept that reality. I think more of what I'm saying is I think there's a space for that type of content, even if it's not perfect. And so like Capcom Pro Talk, I think is a good example where that was Capcom Pro Talk, but it didn't feel inauthentic. It's extremely authentic. It's, it's funny. Felt... And I mean, he had a set and like a desk yeah. and everything, yeah. right? Yeah, was... um, but they, they have had... a desk. Am I remember that? No, uh, they, they like sat on like stools. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, no. but that, that was, that show was hilarious. Yeah, it it really was, was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to talk about maybe something a little bit more recent, uh, the combat cast that they did for Mortal Kombat 11. I don't think oh, these yeah. were perfect, but I really liked mm. them and it felt like in a lot of ways, they were trying to keep the spirit of that. Where obviously, these were all NetherRealm guys. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're trying to sell you a product. Obviously, they're trying to make Mortal Kombat 11 look as good as possible. But I think the way that they approached it and showed off a character 
and talked about it and maybe talked about their experience, how they got hired at NetherRealm, their experience with Mortal Kombat, um, and then just ending it with people fighting each other. Like, that was really effective, and it made it honestly made me more interested in the game. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'm talking about, where people like that, where you can... It's, it's not just somebody getting out saying a pun and then being like, here's the release date. Like, really trying to play the game in a way that feels natural and helps you understand, like, oh, maybe I'll feel this way when I play it. I think there's space for that. Yeah. Um, because the other thing with streaming that I want to bring up, and I want to see if you agree with me here. So you, you have big names, like, uh, like let's just say Maximilian, for instance, mm-hmm. where it's like he plays a bunch of different fighting games. I think because he wants to, but I also think, you know, there's there's incentive to cover the next big thing that and we we have that where it's like there's there's strong incentive for us to not just talk about the same things all the time but to constantly be looking ahead and that's great too but for these games that are trying to carve out a space and to exist for long periods of time i do think something more personal will really help them yeah like think of like samurai Mm. showdown right right and the thing is man like Samurai Showdown is so exciting to just like play with a friend. Yeah. It really is. I think it could like that show could work for a year, but then I feel like that's the lifespan of Samurai Showdown is like one year. Well, yeah, but I mean it depends it depends on a, a, a bunch of things, right? Yeah. Like new characters are always, are always exciting. We know the characters that are coming for Samurai Showdown already, and so it's like okay, those are going to release over time. Like you can keep interest through that. Like mm-hmm. if I like let's say there are these two people playing Samurai Showdown, it's fun to watch them, and it's this, like, short-form thing. Uh, I want to watch them play the new character, you know? And that that maybe makes the new character more prominent in my mind and more aware of it. Like, I don't know. Samurai Showdown, that would be really awesome for Samurai. I think it would really be. benefit I think it's a good s- candidate, and, like, SNK yeah. could just be like, oh, we don't care, go nuts. Yeah. What, what do we have to lose? Right, but I guess the the thing that I don't know, and the real question to answer is, like, what we're talking about, like how much money does that cost? Like what sort of resources do you have to allocate? Who needs to be behind the scenes to make a show like that happen in the way that it needs to to take off? Yeah, and uh, when, it's in a, when it's coming from a corporate environment, it's usually more costly than you think. Yeah. Just because things are a little bit more official, like budgets have to be allocated for it, like people's time, like they're getting billed, like those are hours, like do you hire a specific person? It, it, yeah, it gets way more costly than you think. And I mean, uh, you've been there, I guess, actually. Yeah, that's what like, I'm trying to allude to, is that like there's an expectation of a return on your investment mm-hmm. when you do this. No matter right. no matter how much you believe in this and how, how well it comes off, if it's not ultimately re- – like someone who's in a position of being the boss is going to be – I have accountability. I have to – there needs to be a goal for the show or what, what we're trying to do here. What is the stated goal of this? And if it's not reaching those metrics that have been doled to the people working on that – producing that show, it's, hey, you're not – we got to reevaluate this. Do we need to change things? And ultimately, do we need to cancel and shelve this thing because it is not – for what we're spending on it, it's not – we're not getting a return on investment. And that's why I think it's like even that's why it's so much more of an uphill battle with that. It's because as Kyle was saying, he said like, a, like it felt like a year for Samurai Showdown. Like that's the unfortunate reality. How well a game is in like like mainstream or like its popularity where it's like doing well, especially with the age of Twitch. How long is it up there in like the top few games? Is the more likely 
to strike when the iron's hot and like get that going and having a show like what you're asking here could definitely go a long way in helping to sustain that go even longer. Mm. But eventually all these games are going to reach a point where almost all of them, sorry, will reach a point where we can't afford to keep doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like the game is like we're going to have to unfortunately rely on our community to carry the mantle for the rest of the way. Like we'll do what we can, but we're moving on to like either a sequel or we're moving on to other projects and stuff like that. And this is no longer a priority for us. Right. And I, I think that's the unfortunate reality of like just being, you know, part of a corporation. Right. And maybe, maybe this is inaccurate, but I feel like when I, when I take a look at a lot of fighting games, I, I think that is a reasonable thing that you said where it's like, okay, eventually we're going to reach a point where like this isn't going to work out. But I, then I think about something like smash and Smash is kind of eternal <laughs> in the sense that, like, and especially with Smash Ultimate right now, and even looking at Smash 4 on a console that wasn't successful, like, Smash 4 had a life until Smash Ultimate. Like, it's, it's like Smash, Smash is going to be around. Smash isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, in one form or another, and there, there, you, you can argue the specifics of it, but I think it is true that Smash is going to be around. And so to me, that has tremendous opportunity like why why not invest in these things where it's you don't have to know like we don't know if we're going to be around in two years like you're gonna smash ultimate is going to be around in two years and, and are you asking this of like nintendo like why is nintendo this, is nintendo this right and it just doesn't well it, 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 yeah <laughs> there's an unfortunate reality easy answer for that when it comes to nintendo sadly is that they are only going to go so far with their support um, and their support usually comes with a lot of steep terms, as we've seen in, in the past. Yeah. Like it's been a learning process for them to get involved in this, but they they only go so far. And I, I think it is a good in a good working relationship where they are now with like the FGC and, and Smash community. I, mm-hmm. But it's not one; it's still not enough. And I don't think they're going to go beyond that. What they're doing right now, I think what you've seen with their support is as far as they're going to go. They like doing their own thing. They do their own tournament. They do their own events for this. It, it's it, their own format. It goes against what the fighting game community has adopted. And their argument is, well, there's a larger audience out there than just the FGC. We have casual people who play this game for fun. We want them to feel the experience but, of like competition. But doing this doesn't hurt those people. That like that audience oh. isn't going to... But doing this... like it, Everything that you're talking about with Nintendo... It, it has felt very begrudging. It has felt very dragging the feet. It has felt very like, okay, fine. It, like, embracing it a little bit more effectively and, and I think working with the community even more than they have been doing, I think would do wonders. It's, it's something where like, like in the desert, a drop of water goes a long way kind of a thing where it's like, it feels like they have the whole world in their hands what what do they really have to lose, honestly? I mean, I agree with you. Uh, it's frustrating. Like, looking at it, it seems like the most obvious thing to do, but Nintendo has, I mean, they've given their answer. They don't, they won't want to cross a line where they're basically endorsing that Smash Brothers is a fighting game. It, they give out this message. <laughs> here's the reality. No, they, they, they're afraid that if they go, if they give this blessing, if they go all in on this, it could have repercussions. Like it's like it, the larger picture here is what they're looking at. Yeah. This game is a phenomenal sales success. It blows away any other fighting game. No fighting game comes close to this it, because it's not viewed entirely as a fighting game by the larger world out there. And it for- absolutely is. The, 
there are a lot of people, even in the fighting game community, who still mock it as not being a fighting game, as a party game. Like that's a whole other separate discussion. But the right, point right. is, this game sells a lot based on the concept that it's not too elaborate of a game. That it's not gonna, it's not a hardcore fighting game. It is a fun game. You play with your friends, but it has been adopted by the fighting game community because it does have more intricacies than just that. And I don't think Nintendo wants to commit to that because it's basically taking a stance on it. And they, they've already taken their stance. And to pivot like that, they don't want to do it. And it comes also from like Sakurai and like their development team. They, right. do, they have given their philosophy on what Smash Brothers is to them and what it's always going to be. And they are giving as much as they're probably going to give. And that, that's just it. And I, I feel like if you, what you want... Ultimately, yeah. it's frustrating. It's not going to come from Nintendo unless there's a major internal change at some point. This is something the community has to do, but they have been doing, but they also feel shunned and frustrated as well. Like it, it, It's this long, dramatic I, history with them. I don't know if I totally agree for a couple of reasons. And you, you saying that it's always going to be this way, I think we've had that mentality for a long time, but we have seen changes. We have seen more support. It has gotten better. It's not great. It's not where it could be. There's a lot of untapped potential, but it has slowly changed. And so I do think vocalizing this and saying this is important because I do think you have to call a spade a spade. Whatever arguments people want to get into about it being a fighting game or not, like, fine. But it has more entrance at Evo than any other game by a significant amount. Is the number one most registered game at Evo, the the most premier fighting game tournament of the year. Like, come on. It's like <laughs> support it for what it is and how people are playing it. Like what what how does that how does that benefit you if you have this audience that is huge and hungry and passionate and you're just trying to say, like, no, you don't get it. Like that. How does that help anybody? How does that how does that help anybody? These are these are the people who are are living and breathing your game. They're the ones advocating it. There's the ones that are getting eyeballs like in some cases maybe thousands upon thousands of eyeballs. Like they they are your advertisements. Why not support that passion in a way that makes sense? Honestly, for when it comes to Nintendo, it, it, this goes beyond even Smash Brothers, Ben. Yeah. Oh, for sure it does. Nintendo wants to control the message. They are very draconian in controlling their products and how it is perceived by the public. The times you see them like give way, like even like giving more this more support that you've said has happened. I agree with you. They've at done more support for like Smash and the Fighting Community. It was done out of a reaction to backlash. St stemming back to when they were trying to pull it from tournaments because they didn't agree prize money should ever be associated with their game. They did not like the concept of people profiting off playing their game like that. It wasn't so long ago that they didn't like people putting their videos on YouTube and making money off them unless you agreed to this right. really, really old-fashioned agreement about you got to give us a share. And even streaming games on Twitch, they were very like, eh, you really can't be doing this. They are but, very but slow. But public to, opinion forced them to change. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's going to take outcry from that. But uh, yeah. uh, but I'm also saying it needs to be something that more than just like it, like a, a big swell. Because Smash community has pushed back a lot. They've tried to make outcry against Nintendo since the Melee days about, hey, help us out. Throw us a bone. Like, like we're trying to do all this. And, like, can you meet us even, like, just a little bit of the way? And Nintendo wouldn't. They would not do it. It took... 
a larger group of people, like major publications, like major outlets, major blogs, reporting on that like blunder they had a few years back with Evo and pulling in the threat of pulling Smash Brothers from other tournaments, and they're like. Uh uh-uh. uh, everyone kind of like the everyone rallied behind that, and I was like, "Yikes! Everyone's against this. Let's work it out." But even that, it sounded like the specifics were like, "We're gonna give you some support, but all these tournament organizers, you're gonna have to give us stuff as well." It sounds like Nintendo has almost like full control of the terms in any tournament they're involved in with Smash Brothers, like the banning of any of the, like uh, the like uh, the mods that made Melee and Brawl more competitive. Like they're like. Those need to go away. Those absolutely have to go. Those can't be there. We cannot have a fan thing competing in popularity with our official product. Also, you need to be pushing our newer product. It's like Smash Brothers. That's why we had two Smashes with uh, Wii U and Melee for that year. It's like Wii U was popular and stuff, but like Smash getting two games, it's popular. But like not giving another game, another fighting, any other fighting game that could like you definitely show the diversity of the fighting like fighting games out there. Putting two Smash Brothers in at once is like holy shit! Like that ha- only happened because a yes, Smash is super popular, but the pressure from Nintendo there is like you need to have if you want melee us to support melee there, you need to have our newest game there too because sure. we. I've been told so many times when like trying to do interviews with them that. If you want to talk about older games, you have to work in something about an upcoming product. And I think like this that, is the real thing here, yeah. too, is uh, they don't want to linger on anything too long. And I think this is kind of like their design. Uh, like, think about Capcom. Think about Street Fighter V. There's always something new coming to it, costume-wise, uh, background-wise, character-wise. Uh, Smash is probably going to be done after their f- fifth character, uh, the fifth DLC character. They don't have this running revenue with Smash. And so, like, they want to move on to the next thing. And so, like, Mario Kart, they won't be advertising right now, right? We could have a really cool Mario Kart show for eight years, and it would still be relevant. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, like, Nintendo would really want it too much. It's just like, okay, now play Mario Maker 2. You know, and then, like, okay, now play Luigi's Mansion 3. Now play the new one. Now play the new one. Um, I think there is little incentive for them not to do that. You know what I mean? They they have to sell the next thing. But... but with even with something as simple as DLC characters, yeah, why not do it? As long as that life cycle is, as long as we're getting new characters, why not do it? Because like you're saying, they want people to move on to the next thing. Yeah, they also want people to buy the new characters, and so like there is there is some incentive there. Yeah, but I mean, what else do they need to do? That here's some of my like what I'm like from their perspective. What I'm like the argument you're trying to make. They put out a like put out a trailer for like banjo. The world, like, the internet goes on fire. Everyone's interested in it. I'm going to go rush out to buy it. And then you're going to see a million streams of it when it comes out, of people playing it and saying how cool it is and stuff. Go buy it. Like, why do that? What what justification do they have to put out this type of show you want? Like, w- <laughs> we're, like all, we're all doing the show yeah, for Yeah, like, them. everyone's doing the work for them. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah. like, it's funny, yeah. w- w- like. It's not at a point. I know we're just talking about Nintendo specifically, and this right. can go way beyond Nintendo. It, but like for them specifically, I think this I mean, is the yeah, case. I think I think that is the mentality. Yeah. yeah. What I'm saying is, I think it's the wrong mentality because I think there oh. have been entire games where the mentality has been let let us build and establish goodwill with our audience. Let us let us show that we respect our audience, that we're listening to them, and that we will support them. And obviously, these are very different types of games, but I think Warframe comes to mind. I think sure. Final Fantasy XIV comes to mind. And and there are other examples that you can pull up here where I think 
especially in this generation of games, that respect and authenticity has been lucrative. Like, not just, like, appreciated, but lucrative. Um, like, if it almost feels like some games exist entirely off of that. Like, Path of Exile is a good example of that. And so I just, like, from, from a straight business perspective, you're right. Like, people are going to do their job for them in the sense that the new character comes out, people will stream it, they'll get excited, it'll do well. But, like, from a business perspective, don't you want to change with the times and think, like, maybe there's a way we can throw a little bit of money at this and take this even further and see a much greater reward? Like, isn't that worth trying out, especially as Nintendo, when you are in that position? I don't know. Like, why not try to establish that relationship and appear like you care and appear on the cutting edge and and then the story becomes like oh my god look at how nintendo is listening to fans look at this big change they were never like this before think about all of the good press that that generates and the rippling effect of like people feel better about just supporting them in general i wasn't gonna buy a switch Lite before but man they're really treating me light i don't need this mm-hmm. i'm gonna buy it like <laughs> obviously this is it's not as cut and dry as this i understand but I do think there is a logical thread there to follow. No? I feel it's yeah. way... Yeah, go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. No, I mean, we're just looking, like, at them realistically as businesses. You know what I mean? Like, they... they Nintendo especially is doing fine. You know what I mean? Right. And so, like, they have no incentive to change what they're doing. Mm. And so, like, it would be really cool for them to... I don't know, embrace Smash differently and sm- embrace that community differently. But it was the best-selling Smash Brothers game of all time. And they right. just, they look at their numbers and like, wow, we did the right things. Right. Right. Yeah. You're saying, you're saying like, that's the p- why go in with a new mentality when the mentality that you went with did so well? Yeah. It's yeah. it's that. And I think in their minds, they think they are doing new and innovative things. Sure. They, sure. they, like, they look at the Nintendo Direct format, like, eh, everyone's copying us now. Like, we did this. Like, they see themselves as on the front line of trying to disrupt the market, upend the establishment, essentially, do something because they, like, won't go head-to-head with their competition. They've been doing this for, like, since the Wii for, you know, 13 years ago now, that that's been their, like, MO, is to just do things differently. And they see themselves as trendsetters, so I think in their minds, they think they're doing it. And maybe when it comes to Smash, they're like, our approach, look at it, we sold so well because we are doing, we're not doing what every other fighting game's trying to do. Like, we're not trying to be like them. We are our own thing. Right. That is why we are so big. And they're probably going to watch maybe other companies are going to try and emulate us more. Like, I'd be more worried about, like, Capcom them maybe looking at, like, Smash's success and be like, what do we need to do differently to, like, especially after Street Fighter V, like, had, like, not the greatest launch and You're kind so of floundered. Right, They're probably like, hmm, what do we do for Street Fighter VI? <laughs> Six yeah. is just about knocking people off the stage. <laughs> it's the only way to get a KO. <laughs> I mean, Street Fighter Six our... launches with banjo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Damiani, like to like that is a f- really funny point, Ben. Banjo was the envy of everybody, right? Like mm. everybody wants to have people reacting to their trailers like that. Like the, the lesson has been. I mean, obviously, big guest characters have been a big thing in fighting games for a while. But yeah, I I, I wonder, Damiani, like why other people don't. I mean, Nintendo's obviously the roster. It's mm-hmm. obviously that, you know what I mean? And, and Banjo by himself wouldn't mean anything, but it's Banjo with the Nintendo, and that's why that's so heartfelt. Um, and so, like, it is hard to capture that success of Smash Bros., but I do worry it is a very simple game, right? 
It, it has, you know, attack and then your B moves and then jump uh, and dodge. Um, I wonder if it's like, hey, we should make more games that are this simple. I mean, that's kind of – that's another – I mean, I wonder if you could bring that up, Ben. That was an that's an argument that's actually going around in the fighting game community yeah, right yeah, yeah. now. Yeah. Is the whole argument over whether it's better for fight like there are a lot of passionate players in the competitive community saying, please stop making fighting games quote unquote more accessible slash right. easy. It's not actually good for your game. And that's that's a that's a whole nother way to reframe this yeah. argument though, yeah. where like Trying to accomplish all of these things to just focus on the design of a game and to make it mechanically satisfying while also making sure you have enough content to like keep people interested and want to make them do that initial first person the first person, that's that's a ton to do. That's that's a, sometimes it seems like a nearly impossible task to to appease to appease all the different types of people who want different things out of fighting games. Mm-hmm. Totally. What I'm saying is like when they do try to do these things where they, they make things simpler, that creates a stigma amongst very hardcore people who are out there talking about this stuff all the time. They're like, stop, do, stop doing this. Stop babying me. We don't need this. So what I'm saying is, why not have the people do that, the work for you more effectively? Don't worry about simplifying the game mechanics so much. Mm-hmm. Get people out there who can present these ideas in a way that makes sense and makes it, make it fun. They, they are, they're already doing this work. Anytime yeah. a fighting game is coming out, they're doing tutorial videos. I think Zero is really good. Yeah. If you've seen his stuff, yes, yeah, he's, I have. he's really, he's really great. good. I, yeah. Yes, I watched Zero a lot. I mm-hmm. like Zero, but that's what I'm saying is yeah. I think you could get that message to even more people and maybe present it even more effectively. It's like, it's there. You don't even have to really do it. You just need to provide the platform and the support for it. And that way, you're not dumbing things down. You're, you're keeping that element of mystery and excitement. Um, but you're also bringing more people into the fold. Maybe people would never even consider trying to learn a game in that way. I don't know. I just like, I get the sense that, that what you're saying is that this is really unrealistic, but like, I can't let it go. Like it seems like it can't happen. It's just mostly specific to like Nintendo. Like you go with any other company, what you want would, you could, I could realistically see it happening if the right things came together, yeah. like it, they would not say no to it. When it comes to Nintendo, I just think it is the co- one company where you just get to encounter the most resistance. Like as much as they opened up, it's very strategic, and they're very strategic about what they do. There's always a method to the madness with them, and it's not it's completely impossible, Ben. I'm just saying it is the hardest nut to crack. Sure, is with them. It is. It's a hard nut to crack. Uh, are we ready for some emails? Yeah. Sure. Thank you guys for, for humoring me on that. I appreciate it. That was a hotake. That was a hotake. Mm, yeah. There was, there was some passions flaring on that hotake. First email comes in from John. Okay. He says, hey, guys. Recently, I've been thinking about some of my fondest gaming memories, and I have come to the realization that a significant majority of them belong to games developed in Japan. Judging from the games... <laughs> Don't say... <laughs> <laughs> Judging it from games chosen to be in the Easy LS Hall of Greats. Yeah, okay, that was I was right about to get there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you must be able to sympathize. Yeah, for me, I think that there are a couple of reasons why this is the case. First, games developed in Japan tend to offer smaller, cozier, playable areas, and often give you a glimpse or a sense of a wider world without letting you visit in its entirety. Furthermore, it seems that Japanese developed games 
have historically paid attention to visual and oral aspects as well as tone, there's often a clear focus on the overarching aesthetic of the game. An obvious example of this is Okami, but you can sense it between different Final Fantasy games as well, for example. I think both of these factors spark the imagination and probably cause them to linger longer in the memory. You can call me out if I'm being unfair to Western games, however, I do believe I'm onto something here. I'd like to get your opinions on the above. I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on the design and aesthetic differences between Eastern and Western games at the very least. Thanks for the last three years and keep up the great work. Um, I've got two things to say about this. Okay. Uh, the first is that I don't think this is being fair. And I do agree that Easy Allies tends to focus on, on Japanese-developed games. Mm-hmm. And just coming from my own perspective, there, there are two driving forces for that. It's that when I was being first introduced to video games, specifically on console, most of the best games were being developed in Japan. That, like, you think about the NES, the Super Nintendo, the Genesis, all of those very formulative things were in Japan. And so you're going to have an attachment for that. You're going to have a nostalgia, a huge driving factor. The other thing is, like, when I entered the industry professionally, this was, like, around the time where Phil Fish was saying, like, Japanese games suck now. Yeah. And Keiji Inafune was like, the Japanese game industry is doomed. I remember this stuff, And yeah. me being like, uh, and, like, kind of exploring that and being like, there are things, there are great things that just are not getting attention. Yeah. And coverage then was different. I, I'm actually completely amazed at how things have turned around where a lot of things that would never have been given the time of day at all uh, seven years ago Super R now. And, yeah, because there's a real thing now. Right, yeah. right. And so it, it's really turned in a way that I didn't feel like it's possible, but I think that was kind of a perspective that I was coming at it from where I was like, these things deserve more attention. Um, but I don't think that's fair. I, I, I don't think that, like, Japanese games are inherently better than Western games or that they always do one thing better than Western games. Like, the, the pool is so big that I, I don't know how effectively you can make that case. Historically, you can make the case. <coughs> Historically, in what way? Uh, when you talk about previous generations. Sure. So give me, we, give me examples. Uh, when you're talking about PlayStation, when you're talking about Super Nintendo, like Super Nintendo, obviously, right? Oh, sure, sure. I'm talking today. Yeah. Um, so I have a weird idea that I think it's about what's important to your culture, mm. uh, where what draws your artists. You know, you you talk about, like, uh, you want to make your country appealing to the best scientists. You know what I mean? And so, like, you want to make your field appealing to the best artists. And it's hard for, let's say, like, uh, it's hard for, man, this is all so rude. But anyway, like, you're a costume designer for a video game or a costume designer for a movie. It's much more of a bigger deal to be a costume designer for a movie. Just in the U.S., you know, like like obviously, like that's a bigger deal. But like, I think in Japan that wouldn't have been as like, way bigger deal. On the flip side of that, there was a time where like their names weren't even in credits, and so I, I just think that like there's a different weight though to video games, to the work that was put into them. Uh, you know how much the people. I don't want to say people in the West didn't care about the games they're making. Obviously, you know what I mean. But like. It, <laughs> We almost killed the industry with Atari just kind of pooping them out, right? Sure. Uh, whereas just, like, you have people 
like in Japan who just like just got game design as this art. Yeah. You have you have Shigeru Miyamoto who just like got it, man. It's just like, "Oh, I I get this. This is like I can make this game fun mechanically and right. visually interesting and I care about all these things." Um and so like he in the US could have been making movies. I think he wanted to make movies, right? Uh so it's just like it's whatever I think just in Japan, the video game industry was a bigger deal, and maybe we're still feeling that still. Uh, just like a lot of people growing up, just like, man, I want to make video games, as opposed to like, man, I want to make movies. Yeah, kind of, because I like the, a lot of the things that you're describing for, for Miyamoto mm-hmm. and, and getting game design, like, is that not the original Doom in a lot of ways? And like, think about how that pushed forward an entire genre, and think about how, how it's still referenced today, and like... You you like pretty much ex- like associate first person shooters with the West, and you couldn't av- imagine a video game industry without them. And so yeah. it's just like uh, it's different cultures contributing different things. And I think what it comes down to is like you're gonna like some things more than others. You might like platformers more than shooters, or or you might be very attached to the anime aesthetic. You might just like that yeah. just visually. And that you might prefer Japanese games that way, but does does that inherently make them better, especially now? Like I don't I don't know I don't I don't think you can say that. Yeah, I mean now it's harder, and now it's I mean we have a whole generation of people growing up who played the excellent NES, Super Nintendo, just PC games. You know what I mean? Like we have a whole generation of people who grew up playing games who like grew up wanting to make games. Do you think maybe in some sense? history is getting recontextualized by all the re-releases where like everything is being released, re-released now and everything is a lot more widely available. And so is the way those things are being re-released, like maybe coloring how we view their importance in history? Uh, I mean, for sure. Right. And some things drop off and you'll never play them again and they just get erased. But here's the thing, Ben, like I, I think Mario 64, Super Mario 64 Mm -hmm. is easily better than Doom. I could make the case all day long. I could say that is a better game. You know what I mean? Doom's huge, I mm-hmm. think, on a technical aspect. Yeah. It's, I think Doom is a lot about the look. It's a lot about, like, hey, like, this looks amazing, as opposed to, like, man, that was a really well-designed level. You know, like, man, that, that uh, <laughs> I just loved discovering this in this part, and they really just thought about how this would work in mechanics, mechanically against this and this. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Doom is... I think like a technical marvel, and I think it's a huge part of its success. But also, like its aesthetic is huge too. But that's ho- that's not what the question is, though. You're you're taking one specific game and yeah. comparing it to another specific game, and I th- like I'm not saying that you can't make those arguments. I think you can. I'm saying in total, yeah. Like you have to take the summation of all the games produced in Japan and all of the other Western games, and I'm I'm like. I'm not sure that, like, just because you can make a case for Mario 64 being better than Doom, that that means Japanese games are better than Western games. I, I think it could. Just like, I, I could, I, again, and this will be equally as offensive, I'll yeah. say U.S. Movie, movies made in the U.S. are better than movies made in Japan. And obviously there are tons of exceptions, hundreds of exceptions, but I can make that statement. But how knowledgeable are you with Japanese film? Really? How knowledgeable are you on Japanese? Films? I've seen fewer than five Japanese movies, right? So and I can like, make come that. Come on, I can make that statement because no. yeah, because I think it's about like what is like most important to you, or, you know, 
your culture, like what you grow up looking at and seeing and like wanting to do. But you, how many American movies have you seen? And you've grown up in America. Like that's what I'm talking about. Right. And so like if video games were as huge as movies, if the Academy Awards was the Game Awards, mm -hmm. right? Movies, video games would be better in the U.S. Peter Jackson would have been like, man, I'd actually, I'd rather make a video game. I don't really want to be a Lord of the Rings. No, it's it, it's also time. Like, movies have been around for so much longer. Like, yeah. what what you're describing in terms of prestige, you already see it shifting. Yeah, uh, for sure. Video games are getting increased attention. So, like, I, what I'm saying is, I think there are specific reasons for the problems that you're you're bringing up. Mm -hmm. Like, they have a cause. I don't know that it makes it like one greater than the other in that sense. I'm. I'm with the thesis of, what is his name, Tom? John. John. I'm, I'm with John on this one. Damiani, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a little more, I don't think it's a, as, a, as cut and dry. I, I, I can see maybe that contributing to some of it, Kyle, but I, I feel like the thing is, depending, it, it depends on where you started with gaming. Like, it has, I think it has a lot to do with the generation you got into it. I mean, today, it's a different story. Like, things... I don't inherently think one is better than the other anymore. Like I think that's an absurd argument to make. Like like, like Japanese games now are inherently better than Western developed games. Like they both are have phenomenal entries. They both have shit entries. Like right. they've come to a point where like they're both at excellent places. And it, it's more diverse than just Western Japanese. There's a lot yeah. more than that as well. But looking at the history real quick, it's that there definitely was a place for Western games to thrive, and for most of I see the trajectory arc of it being like PC. PC had a lot of great Western games on it. A lot of the great genres we have now, like you said, FPS, you mm -hmm. know, like strategy, thrived on PC, thrived with Western developers supporting those. And, adventure and, games. And adventure games, yeah, like yeah. that's the one I was forgetting. Where, I think you can even say online games. Yeah. Yeah. Like online, but online predates even, like, yeah, like the 80s is when you started, like, seeing like Ultima and stuff like that. Like, you obviously had those genres thriving and stuff. It's just, I think it has partly to do with the consoles were made to be easier to get into, cheaper, whereas PCs were viewed as more complicated, harder to get into, more of like almost like a hobbyist type thing versus like, you know, a form of entertainment. And it wasn't until like the, like, I think the 2000s where that discrepancy. It started to like kind of like bl like it went away. For Things sure. blurred together a little bit better. You had like the advent like of like Halo, like oh a competent. I know people love GoldenEye, but like it really was Halo, like a competent console first person shooter. Wait, what? Right. And it feels like a PC shooter. It's like this is okay. Uh, uh, a like, shooter, a shooter that wasn't good for a console, yeah. but was good as a shooter. Yes, yeah, yeah. and it like exposed more people. Like basically, what I'm trying to argue is that like PC stuff started to get more mainstream and more integrated with consoles. And like more people got exposed to that through the like the 2000s to the mid 2000s specifically, till we reached a point where the late 2000s like we can talk about all these like it, things are almost at parity, and now you can truly see that they're like these games. That argument are like oh, Japanese games are always better on consoles, Western or games are better on PC. That I don't think that argument is as valid anymore. It's not. It, yeah. It's gone. And that that like that's just the historical angle of it. I know it's right. like getting to like an opinion here, but like I think that's how I've always viewed it. Is that that's just like how history played out. And now, think really, we're at a point like you can look back on that and say that's how it was, but it's not. And I think older people who went through that arc 
that's where they're getting their biases from. It's like, what were you introduced to? Where were you introduced along that timeline if you were a pre, like, mid-2000s, like, introduced to gaming? And that it colors a lot of where your preferences come to, where you kind of, like, cherish things more. Oh, I grew up on, like, a Nintendo, or I grew up, it doesn't matter, you grew up on Genesis, a Nintendo, or even a PlayStation, you were mostly a Japanese game, if it, like, appreciating those more. Whereas if, like, someone got you into PC gaming, you know, in the, like, the 90s, you were like Doom, Mist, uh, like later when Blizzard came around with like the Warcraft games and Starcraft. It's like, oh wow, these are amazing. What is this? Who cares about Nintendo or Sega or any of these? They have nothing on this. And that, I think it's just, it's just those biases that existed. And I think nowadays that's largely gone away. And it's going to be easier going forward. I feel like what we're seeing now when people complain, oh, your Hollow Grace is too Nintendo filled, give it another generation and yeah. i think that's gonna go away i think you're gonna see like people like the next generation of people doing media coverage like us they're gonna be like oh it'll be well we'll be a lot more balanced i, I don't think you're gonna have this problem as much as you do now but like it, it it's just it's just the way history played out and i i think that's largely it was out of the control of a lot of people like and, right. and as you whether or not you decide to evolve and be mature about it and expand your taste as you were exposed to more things. Right. It's that that's just who you are. Yeah. Um, it it's difficult because I, I think categorizations can be extremely detrimental. Mm -hmm. I, I I think there's this and especially like with how we communicate now, um, there's a strong desire for consensus as quickly as possible, and I think. What happens when you do that is you undervalue exposure. Um, and kind of what I was saying about the Japanese game thing, where, like, the more that I explored that, the more I learned and realized, like, oh, like, what what is being said as the story is not actually what's happening, not to the degree that people are, are saying it. And, like, I think that's what I'm trying to say is, like, you might prefer Japanese games just because you play Japanese games more. And maybe on a surface level, there's something that just immediately draws you to them. But that doesn't mean if you were to make the effort to play more Western games that you wouldn't feel that way. And I just, I just think that that's a good thing to advocate, to, yeah. to have the humility to say, like, I don't know. And to use that opportunity of not knowing to explore. That's all I'm saying. Um, but at the same time, like... You need those strong opinions to understand things. Like someone needs to get out there and say this is better than this so you can start that conversation. Yeah. Like not everything is of an equal level, right? Like not everything is just like all nice and dandy and it's all good. You can't do that either. And so I get it. But, you know. Like John's going to play Doom mm -hmm. and say Final Fantasy VI is way, way better than this. Sure. You know, it's just like, oh, I was right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, th I think that... Uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, we can't say, like, he's never played Doom. He's never played Ultima. He's never played SimCity. You know what I mean? Right. We can't say he's never, like, gone and tried those games. Uh, yeah, to me, it's, like, a legitimate opinion historically. I totally agree that you can't today say that, like, any country has an advantage, really, hmm. uh, game design-wise. Because uh, we all make very bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it goes even beyond that because of how 
things of just global, like the globalization of just even gaming. Right. Heck yeah. Like it's not even incredible. It's not even entirely appropriate to call a game strictly Japanese anymore. There have been plenty of times yeah. where I've had to be like, where was this made? The, yeah. Right. And yeah. That, that was not the case for. Yeah. Back mm-hmm. in the day, that yeah. was clear cut. But now it's like, wait, so Square Enix was involved from Japan, but then Eidos was also involved in development. So like the, yeah, what do you call that? Or and then like you know like like Bandai Namco having like studios all over the world contributing, or Ubisoft. So like, wh- wh- what do you? How do you label this? Like yeah. you don't. You call it a Ubisoft game. It's like there you go. Like you stop calling it by its region. It's nice to give credit to like smaller developers who are from like you know like uh, like CD Projekt Red. You know, being from Poland, right? Right. See, probably Poland, yes. Yes, thank correct. you. I want to make sure yep. I get that correct. I don't want to embarrass myself. Yep, yep, yep. But, like, yeah, like giving shout outs to like different parts of the world where it's yeah. like that's not traditionally known for being like a strong game development community. That's yeah. nice to do. But the same time, larger companies, it's it's like it's to call them Earth games. Like, it was developed on Earth. There you go. Like, <laughs> it's, it's absurd. I know I'm just being stupid. But I yeah, like it, it. it's like, like genres, the whole argument about like genre stuff we don't need to get into, like how absurd and like irrelevant they're becoming because so many games use so many different elements. Like, what do you even call it? You're going to put like six different genre terms in front of the game to describe it? Or right. do you just like talk about it and like. You you come you understand it has those elements, but through a natural discussion with people right. versus putting labels on it as shorthand. Right. I just think like I just think the broader your generalization, the less effective it is in a lot of instances. Oh sure, heck yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we are unfortunately out of time. I think that's the only email we're going to get through. It was, it was a meaty one. Yeah, yeah. It was a meaty one. Um, Damian, I know you have to stream in a little bit. So that, unfortunately, is going to be a one-email frame trap. Thank you so much to the Spirited Discussion, Kyle Bossman and Michael Damiani. If you Thank want you. to send an email in, the email address is askeasyallies at gmail.com. One more time, that is askeasyallies at gmail.com. Please give us your hardest-hitting questions. Let us get mad. It's good. Um, thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time.